Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to The Bible. Wait, what? I am sitting down today with first-time podcast guest Becky Babington hello, from hello. C3 Thrall. Hey, Becky, good hello. to have you with us. It's good to be here. Yes. It's very exciting. And uh, you have provided a day where I've actually had to do quite a lot of homework. <laughs> Me too. You too, yes. <laughs> why? We, exactly. Yes. Why did Jeannie dob you in for this one, I wonder? So. Well, I picked it. I can't, you picked I can't it, did even you? blame anyone yeah. else. I... I probably should have read the fine print right. a little bit more. I saw Redeemer and she and saw thought, Redeemer yeah. and topic didn't see Revelation. Yeah, that's right. She saw Redeemer and she saw Ruth and she went, "That sounds good." <laughs> yes, she didn't notice that we also have Revelation chapters five, six, seven, eight. Usually, the New Testament you can it's a safe bet. It's yeah. the Old Testament you need to look at <laughs> to see what am I tackling. But well, yeah, strap yourself fault. in, folks, because a little later on we're going to tackle Revelation and we're going to have some fun. And we're not going to solve the Revelation. Dilemmas in in Shame. this podcast, but um, I we'll just see how we go. Depending on what sort of questions you've got, we'll be able to go somewhere. Excuse me if my voice is a little bit croaky today. It just gives me a voice for radio when I'm a, a little bit it's a bit sticky up the back of the throat. But all good. I'll keep my distance from Becky. But the whole family He's brought a level of seriousness to it, the voice. It has. Sort of it does sound like I'm. A, I kind of sound like Shannon, don't I? That deep radio <laughs> yes. voice that Shannon Moyer has. You, Becky's got her kids in the house. Liza and Finn, are you going to come and say hello to everybody? Come say hi. They've just been across the road. They've got they've got they've food, got the goods. They've got goods. Hey, Eliza. Hello, everyone. Well, that's Eliza. Come on, Finn. Come and say hello over here. Finn has a question for our podcast world. Come on, Finn. Jump on here and tell us what your question is. How does God and Jesus do all these miracles? How does God and Jesus do his miracles? What a good question. Hey, why don't you turn around and look at the good, camera Finn. for all our YouTube people and wave to that red light up there for our YouTubers. I want you to think about that. How does God do all these miracles? Well, I would think that God's pretty big, wouldn't you? Do you know the Colin Buchanan song, My God is So Big, So Strong? You love uh, love Nothing like a bit of bucko. Hey, he's pretty cool. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God can't do. 
there's nothing my God cannot do. Clap, clap. That's what you need. You need the... <laughs> well, if God is big enough to make everything, make the whole wide world, do you reckon he can do whatever he wants to do? I reckon it's very possible. Come over here, talk into the microphone so our guests can hear you. But I think he would use his powers to do it for good. I think you're spot on, Finn. Yeah. I think you're right. God is a good, good father. And he, unlike some superheroes who try to use their powers for bad, God uses his powers for good. For good in the world, for our good, because he loves us, yeah? Yeah. And he does miracles to heal people and deliver people, set them free so they can have a full and blessed life. I reckon that's a pretty good question you've asked there. Yeah, Yeah, pretty good. Are you going to go and eat your food now? Go, Go for it, guys. Thanks, guys. Love God. Good on you, Eliza. And also, I love him. Please do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Good on you, guys. Enjoy that yep. holiday lunch. First day of school holidays for yes. you guys. Well, we are doing this topic, the Redeemer. Yes. The topic of the Redeemer. So we're going to maybe do a bit of an intro there yes. and then go from there, hey? I, I thought... Um, you know, I have my own understanding of that word redeem or redeemer, but I, I thought it might be helpful just as a general note to unpack that unpack word. Unpack it a little bit. Yes. Well, I have my general understanding too, but now that you've got me, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> so I might just uh, I might just have to look it up. Um, but the, the my understanding of the word redemption or redeem is um, in its purest form is to buy back, mm. to purchase back. So if, if we sell something to... Um, you know, to a pawn shop, we'd go, we'd go down there and we to buy it back is to, you know, to if you've got the money now, you can buy back that ring or that phone or whatever it was you sold. So that's in its simplest form. Um, and that theme of redemption comes through as one of the key things of the father that he has purchased back um, us from the enemy, from the, the curse of sin and death through the death of his son, Jesus. Oh, awesome. So I think that's that's it. I mean, we can try and look it up. Let's just let's just bear with us for a minute. Let's, look, have a look. let's get some ancient. What have you if found? If you could do some ancient Greek or... No, I can look in strong. No, concordance. look, I'm not, I'm not putting you to the test here, but Where's I think it's that picture of... Kinsman um, Redeemer. I think the word that I, I guess, think in, in close proximity is, is restore, that idea of... Yep. Um... Yeah, I guess restoration for something that for you you're saying take something that's been taken away or um, whether that's been diminished in some way. Um, diminished? That, How so? Oh, just the idea of, of um, I think I uh, one of my favourite Psalms, 103, is that idea of our oh, life yes. being redeemed. Redeemed, yes. And I haven't thought of it as, as being brought back, but I guess... I think of it more of restored. So when we do go through difficult seasons of life, the idea of God's redeeming work of bringing that back and and I think taking us to a new a new level, a like new level. like Psalm one hundred three says, yes. you know, the Lord has uh, you know renews our our life. youth like the yes. eagles, and it says uh, He heals all our diseases and crowns us with yes. loving kindness. So it's almost like not just giving us back what we lost, but Lumping on more, yes. a good measure yes. more. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a good point there. Well, the Hebrew word, oh, I should have known this, it's goel. Mm. That is pronounced goel or that's probably yeah the English transliteration of it. In the Old Testament of the Bible, this term is often used to refer to a close relative who has the right and responsibility to redeem or buy back property 
or a person who has fallen into slavery or debt. Mm. The Redeemer's role is to restore and protect the rights and well-being of those who are in need of help or deliverance. Mm. The concept of the Redeemer has significant theological and spiritual implications in both Jewish and Christian traditions. That's wow. chat GPT helping me there. Does it say see Ruth? <laughs> it, well, it's <laughs> right. Well, that's exactly where we're going, isn't it? Yes. That'll be and a nice segue into that It will be a great when segue there. when we get to Ruth because <laughs> Ruth is a beautiful little picture in mm. four chapters of this concept of the kinsman redeemer and and a picture of Jesus as well. Mm. And not only that, it actually points forward to Jesus. We're going to see that awesome. when we get to chapter four as well. So we're going to have a lot of fun in Ruth. Yes. I think it's one of my favorite little books of the Bible. But before that, we're going to go to Psalm, Psalm. 126, yes. I think. Yes. Right. Well, as we head into Psalm 126, Big has another question that kind of links together. We did a podcast last week on the Father as Creator, and now we're looking at Him as Redeemer. So what did you want to say about that? Well, I'm sure there was intention behind how you've ordered these weeks. Around the Father, yep. Around the Father, but it did seem poignant to look at that idea of God Creator or Father Creator and now Father Redeemer and that idea of how that links in with what God is doing, that redeeming work that yes. God is doing in creation. Yep. It's, it's, redemption is like recreation. Mm. It's like uh, we talked about it in our Creator, at, I will hear it through all and at Camden. We did this series, it was only yesterday as we record this, um, but we talked about the fact that God creates, but humans through their sin decreate. Mm. And But God is always in that message, that, that mission to recreate again, to redeem, to put things back right again. Mm. Yeah. I love that picture. Yeah, yeah, to, to recreate. Recreate, I like that. Yeah. And I think it links in nicely with yep. Psalm 126 and that beautiful picture of restoration. Absolutely, it's um, a beautiful psalm. And it talks about restoring the fortunes of Zion. Mm. Uh, but I assume you might have some wisdom on how that might also speak to us today in yeah, sure. the world we're living in. Yep. Well, the Psalm 126 is a psalm that was written uh, at their return from exile. So, which is the for the Israelites, for the ancient Jews, this was the ultimate form of decreation. The ultimate form of of punishment for their sin was to be exiled away from their homeland, to be away from their temple, really to be away from God's presence. And so, um, complete decreation, like rest, almost like the flood all over again. It uses that kind of language as well. It says. Uh, when the exile is spoken of by the prophets as as like the the enemy, the Babylonians and the Assyrians coming and coming in like a flood and 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 decreating, and uh, and then at the end of this time, God brings them back. He redeems them. He brings them back. So, I think for us, we can catch this psalm is so full of joy. Mm. It's it's about the joy of God's redemption, mm. the joy of God bringing them back, and I think so for us. Any time we feel like our life has been decreated. Anytime we feel like we have been overcome by hardship or trouble or disorder, a psalm like this to meditate on um, and remind us maybe of the times when God has brought us through previous mm. things and then use those to remind us that, hey, he brought me through that. Yes. He will bring me through this. Yes. He brought me through that Exodus experience. Mm. He'll bring me through this mm. Exodus experience mm. as well. I love that. That idea of remembering. I think we yes. all need to <laughs> <laughs> meditate on what reminding, yes, don't we? we constantly Yeah to to look back as we look forward and and then also be somehow in the present and I think that idea yeah that redeeming work is past present future 
Great. Tell me, tell me more. That's a great little thought there. Tell me what, you, what brought that I to mind. just we can often – I think probably the remembering part is is the growth part as well. We right. have to look to see – I mean, we all, we all have the – can see things in hindsight a lot more than what we're experiencing sometimes sure. in, in the present. Um, but also, yeah, what we're experiencing here in, in whatever today's challenges might be – um, or the season that we're in, knowing that God is working for our good, no yeah, matter the circumstances, and redeeming, um, redeeming the circumstances. We might not see it now, yeah. Um, and obviously, this might then might become the season that we're looking back into when we're in the next season. Um, and you can see what God was doing. That's right. Well, that's a, and I, then the I future picture. I think is. Where you know that that bigger picture redemption of God's plan for His creation mm. and for the world, and needing to remember that in this, we get. I in know that I get world. so yeah yes. in a messed up world yeah, in the so bogged down in the yeah. Well, we're going to see that when we get to Revelation too, because people miss it. They get afraid by the yes. book of Revelation, whereas once you understand that it was actually supposed to be there to to encourage you that God's got everything in order yes. is, is a totally different view of it. I love that thought of redemption. I mean, even when you said redemption of the past, mm. because I, I think we miss, can miss the value of that. We think, oh, God just kind of ignores the past and just allows us to move into the future. Mm. A picture of redemption is so much more beautiful than that. Mm. It's like he weaves the past into the tapestry yes. of the now. Yep. So he, uh, I, you know, I look at it and think, well, what is the, in the Bible, according to the Bible, what is the single worst event in human history? And I think the, if you ask an ancient Jew that, they would tell you, well, that was the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, mm. that, that that set on in motion the rest of the depravity of humanity. And yet that very act of sin becomes the catalyst for the greatest act of grace. <laughs> so God God doesn't just uh, ignore a problem or, or put right a problem. He somehow we, redeemings oh, to weave yeah. that into. Yeah. So for these people in exile who've spent all this time, this 70 years completely away from God's presence. It's not like God says, well, now I'm going to restart the clock. It's now I'm going to use all that hardship, mm. all those years of turmoil that you experienced, all that pain and all that grief. I'm actually going to use that to make you a better people. Mm. I will, that will actually help you to reflect me more. Mm. I think that's beautiful. How, mm. how only a master creator can recreate mm. a mess and use it for good. Yes. And I think, um, and, and maybe to steal a little bit of a, a secular secular terminology, but that idea of the narrative, the nar- our life narrative and, and the way we think about our lives yep. and our stories yep. and putting over that God's narrative can redeem, yes, those past. Absolutely. And yeah. how we interpret them can then help us step into more freedom. Absolutely, yeah. Rather than just ignoring them, it becomes part of who we are. Yes. Yeah, and that's a beautiful, it's a a painful thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, anytime (laughs) we go through hardship of any kind or trauma, you know, I'm sure that if we didn't have to go through it, we wouldn't. But if we've seen God work in it, so often the hardship I've been through in my life, and I'm not saying I've been through some of the trauma that some of you listening have been faced, but I've I've walked alongside people who have, and they will say things like, you know, to to 
have come out the other side and knowing what I know now, if I had to go through it again, I would because yes. it's made me a stronger yes. person. And God and meets us in those places. In those moments. Mm. Discover something of God that yep. you don't see on the mountaintop. Yes. You discover yes. God in the valley not you don't see on the yep. mountaintop. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a beautiful picture of of redemption. Mm. Like for these Jews in this, they're full of joy, but the it was basically it was their idolatry, their consistent putting others, putting themselves before God and God's image in other people that led them to exile. Mm. Now, now the Jews weren't perfect. You see that at the time of Jesus, they're far from perfect. But one thing that they have eradicated from their history when they come back from exile is idolatry. Mm. Even though they're selfish and they're still controlling people, there's not a hint of idolatry among the Jewish people. Exile redeemed them from idolatry. Oh, I've never so, thought of it. Yeah, like that. no. I, thanks to John Finkelder, he told me that one years ago. But I remember that, and I thought I've never seen it that way either. Yeah, that exile redeemed them from from that form of worship of pagan idols. That was never an issue again. After, but it was. You read the Book of Kings and Chronicles. It was constant. So it re, so their 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 hardship redeemed something in them, made them a better kind of people in some ways. Yeah, there's hope for us all. There's I hope. Guess. Mm. Yeah, that hardship can God can redeem us through hardship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did you, did you have anything specific else in, your, in 126 that, that stuck out to you? Oh, look, I just... It's a great, I mean, it's, it's only a, a simple it's, little It's farm. only, yeah, it's not one that I have, you know, I've read it before, but for such a short little psalm, yeah. it really does pack a beautiful punch in terms of hope, I think a true hope. Why don't we read it? Because it's only six verses. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's just read it. Because if you're listening to this, you might not have read it in your Bible reading plan. Let let this, if you're going through some hardship right now, Mm. just let this speak to you. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter. We sang for joy. And then the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears with har- will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go and plant their seed, but they will sing as they return with the harvest. Mm. Wow. Love Beautiful. It. That's a great little psalm just to meditate on. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, to get to that point where others will say, what great things the Lord has done. Yes. Yeah. And I think that gives us expectation when we pray as well. Yeah. That God will restore and Absolutely. bring joy out of weeping. <laughs> yes, that's right. He, rest, you know, we reap in tears, you know, sow in tears and reap in joy. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, they never underestimate what God is doing in our exile moments, in our hard moments, in our painful moments. Definitely. And I don't think you know you've come from you've come from Baptist uh, Baptist oh. background, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> well, I've gone from Catholic growing up, but yep. Anglican for a long Anglican time, a long then time. to Baptist then Baps, then. for a little bit for yep. church planting, and now here at and C3. now here. So, so one thing Pentecostals have not always done well is have a good theology of suffering. Um, so you know, because we want to be faith people, we, but but that's been taken to an extreme, and we don't deal with suffering well, whereas mm. I think certainly Catholics have a, have had a good theology. <laughs> and it's not to say that that's only a theology of suffering is good either. There has no. to be faith and yes. believing that God will Absolutely. break and bring healing and all that yes. sort of stuff. But I, we have a tendency to mm. to wrestle with one side or the other. I don't think Pentecostals have always known no. what to do. And well, so, I, think, I think grief is an important part absolutely. of our Absolutely. That's what's missing in a lot experience. of Pentecostal theology. Yeah. And I yeah. think allowing God to be there in the grief yeah. is, you know, totally important to our deepening trust in him. Yeah, we find things about him through that time. I think the Jews call it <clears throat> sitting sitting Shiva or something like that, which oh, yes, where they actually just that. sit with a person. It's what, mm. what Job's friends do with him. Um, Don't turn away the, from the pain. <laughs> that's right. It's, I think part of it is you, you allow them time to grieve 
um, prior to the funeral or whatever, if they've lost a loved one, and then it's just sitting Shiva. It's mm. just, and I've seen this in Middle Eastern cultures, Lebanese cultures, and so on. They do it as well. They just come and sit with a family, and and it's the gift you're giving them is the gift of your presence. You're yeah. not saying anything. Yeah. You're just the gift of can't your presence. Fix it. No, you can't fix no. it. And and um, I think we miss that if we're just trying mm. to always go into God is good, He'll fix mm. it mode. Um, but so, sometimes God, I think, it's that picture of what God does sometimes in our suffering is he's just that presence with us. He yes. doesn't leave us. That's right. He never leaves us all of yeah. a sudden. He doesn't always fix everything no. the way we think it should yeah. be fixed. But redemption means he, he knows ultimately what's best. These, these people that spent 70 years in exile wondering if, and, and God was with them in exile, even mm. though they thought that God had abandoned them. And they came back with joy, mm. a changed people. Wow. So yeah, go through hardship Keep hanging on to God. And if you know mm. others that are going through it, sit with them. Yes. Sit with them through it and let God's redeeming work do its job. Mm. Amen. Excellent. Well, we're going to hit the book of Ruth now. Sounds so, great. four little chapters. We'll go to Ruth 1. We, we, uh, there's a nice segue from Psalm 126, some of the beautiful pictures that we've um, seen of God's restoration work. There's definitely some of that coming out in Ruth. Absolutely. Um, but just looking at Ruth 1 to begin with, um, we have Naomi who's lost her, her husband. She And her sons. And her sons. Mm. It's a time of mourning. Yes. Death. Bitterness. Absolutely. She wants she to calls, change her name. She does. <laughs> she wants to be called Mara, which I means bitter. I think not, she's not feeling very hopeful no. for the future. No. I think she's almost like, my life is done. Yep. Um, yeah, there's nothing good left for me now. Nothing good left. Yeah. But obviously she is beloved mm. by her daughter-in-laws. And yeah, that's not always the way that it goes. Like, no, <laughs> not always. Yeah. <laughs> not always. Contrary to popular opinion, you yes. see on the sitcoms that it's always the man and his mother-in-law that has a problem. Yes. But I've been pastoral ministry for a long time and I can tell you that no, more often than not, it's the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law that yeah, have the biggest relational challenges. Tricky territory. Yes, it so, can be. this is an interesting um, scenario. I think two two daughters who proclaim their love and yes. their devotion to their mother-in-law, but Ruth really, really she goes is next devoted. Level, she clings. She? Yes. she clings to to Naomi. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of an interesting kind of um, yeah that idea of loyalty. Devotion; mm. um, those were kind of the themes that I were, you know, picked up on in this sort of first chapter. Yeah, those themes are all through this book. Mm. Uh, the, the the word that keeps coming up, you'll see it both to Ruth and then to and then to Moab to Moab, to Boaz as well is is noble character or loyal love. Uh, I think it's the Hebrew word kail, a bit like Superman. Kail, I think it's, that's what I pronounce it. And it literally means this, this selfless, loyal love that lays mm. down what you want for somebody else. Mm. And you see this picture all the time. It's redemptive, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no no better picture than that of, I think, you know, usually parent to child. That's right. That. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And in this case, it's <clears throat> it's really in many ways, it's Ruth doing that for Naomi. Mm. The mother-in-law, the daughter-in-law is doing yes. it for her mother-in-law. It, is, it seems like a, yeah, a turn it, of role. It is, a, a, yeah. Turning that on its head. Yeah. Um, one thing that also I just picked up on, um, which I don't know if there is any sig- real significance, but it is that idea of the harvest. When they do go on their journey back to, um, well, firstly, Bethlehem, 
Yep. That's an interesting Yep, that should uh, tweak a straight away, it? So yes. that should, you know, as my theology, um, you know, my time in studying the Bible properly <laughs> through the Anglican church is yep. how does this point to Jesus? How yes, does this point right. to Jesus? So Bethlehem for one. Yep, absolutely. And then that idea of the harvest time of harvest. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that I just thought could be interesting to pick up on. All right. Tell me about what you think about where, where, where's your head going with the whole concept of the harvest then? Well, that's a time of bringing in. Yep. yep. And reaping. reaping. Yep. Um, and that's not without, I mean, I'm not a farmer by any stretch of the imagination, nor a gardener. I'm the married to a... <laughs> You've horti- been married to a gardener. I'm, I'm married to a horticulturalist. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um but in terms of, of, of sowing and the work that's put into um, a crop, yep, yep, there would be hardship in that. And well, then sure. harvest is, is well, a we just time read of at the end of Psalm 126, those who reap in tears, yes. sow in tears, right. reap in joy. That's the principle. Yes. It? It's hard work to, yes. to sow. So I feel like there's that nice, um, you know, that big picture of, you know, what's happening in that, that you know, geographical area or yes. what's happening in, in that. Um, time and place um, is kind of a reflection of maybe what's going to oh, happen for these two ladies. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, yeah. Well, they had gone to, like, um, Naomi and her husband and sons had moved from Israel to Moab because of a famine, because mm. of a drought. And interestingly enough, if you look on a Google map, satellite image of Israel and that, that part of the world, you normally wouldn't move to Moab. If you look at it, just look at it on its <laughs> map. Most of the greenery is in Israel. Okay. Moab is across the Jordan River. I thought you were going to give us like a, an equivalent of now. Well, that, would, that could be controversial. Right? Yeah, that could be. No, we'll stay away from the <laughs> geopolitical situation. But but ge- ge- geographically, the Moab is modern-day Jordan. And with a little bit of an exception of a bit of uh, – greenery area around the around the actual Jordan River, it's pretty much desert. It's much okay. more arid than Israel. Yeah. So you're in a pretty bad way when you when that's where you're when going, you, after, where a you're going yeah, after a famine. Yeah. So um but there was you know, desperation, I there's guess. There's desperation, mm. absolutely. And so the, the story you know, they moved there and then when you to pick up this harvest theme you're talking about, they're coming back again at the end of the harvest. Now harvest the harvest season was always a time of joy in these mm. agrarian mm. societies. That's mm. why they had parties around them and feasts around them because you know, it's it's the time of God's blessing. Yes, um, you've done the hard yards. Now you get to you get celebrate. to celebrate it. Um, how much more when there's a harvest at the end of a famine? You can imagine that this is a this is a great time of excitement. Yes, um, anticipation and anticipation, which is I think that that projects forward mm. for us when we you know it's it's a natural physical harvest here, but there's mm. a metaphorical projection forward to Jesus talked about the harvest. Yes. You know, as yes. the great harvest at the end yep. of the age and yep. things like that. Yeah. That the re- true redemption is the redemption of souls for the kingdom mm. of God. Mm. It just takes Naomi's not quite in that headspace She's at not. this point. No. But God is faithful even yes, in the middle of that's that. That's right. Yeah. Despite our feelings about things. Yep. yep. Um, he's always doing the work, which is Yeah, see that back to that Pentecostal theology, people would go, Oh, come on, Naomi, get with the program. You've got no faith there. But but true understanding is that God's still working mm. even though she yes. is not expressing yes. This solid, I've got, God's got this kind of faith. Yes. God still works. He's still faithful yes. even in our mess. Yes, yes. Mm. And then the old Bethlehem. Yeah, I Bethlehem. feel like, I was, we'll, you know, when we get to the end of the story, there's that nice, you know, we'll right get the to there. 
at the end of Ruth 4, but this is giving us a little hint of, you know, pointing towards our Lord and Saviour. It is. It's pointing us forward to David, mm. who's born in Bethlehem, mm. and Jesus. Yes. So this is a bridge story. Yes. Starts in Genesis, in Judge, Ruth 1 with, it tells us where it's placed. It says in verse 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. So mm. this is a this is a bridge between a time in Israel's history that come in, Joshua's conquered the promised land, and they are screwed up. Mm. I mean, they're a messed up people. Mm. Uh, the judges is a dark time in their history. Everyone, Everyone's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and mm. evil. Everyone's taking for themselves. Yes. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. It's a messed up time. Mm. It can seem like it's without hope. And this little book is placed there to show that God was still working even in the middle of that. And he's still working out a plan. Mm. And it's going to see that when we get to chapter four, that his plan was to use two ordinary people, mm. Ruth and Boaz, mm. and even and, and even Naomi, mm. ordinary woman, woman, to do his to fulfill his plan. Mm. That's that's redemption right there. Yes. I love that. Right. Mm. Anything else in Ruth one that stood out to you? No, I think that that captures I guess sets up in terms of how this story plays out. Yes, that's it's, right. Ruth one is just really setting the mm, historical context mm, for it, isn't it? And mm. then the story begins really yes. two and three are like the meat of the story. And I think the idea of just picking up again on that idea of land and home and that is such an important part of that redemptive story yes. is our connection to home yep. and obviously our true home. Yep, it does. And, and, you know, we've got, we look forward to that home. We, Hebrews says we are, you know, citizens of heaven. We look forward to that home and that sense of belonging. But, uh, you know, as Christians, I think, I think Christians have often watered this down. I mean, our, our indigenous brothers and sisters get this, this yes. connection to land, yes. this connection yes. to home. Um, and we think we're enlightened because, oh, you know, we don't do that anymore. But that's been the story of of humanity throughout the ages yes. has been a connection yes. with the land. Yep. We have that lost that. We have lost that. Mm. Yeah. And I think especially in the West, we've lost that. And yeah. I think um, rather than being arrogant about that, I think maybe we could be have some humility and yes. come back and recognize that there is a beauty in a connection with the land and the history that yeah, is definitely. there. Yeah. All right. Let's head over to Ruth 2. Fantastic. Okay, so Ruth 2, the plot thickens. <laughs> yes, it does. It's a beautiful story. It's, it is. It's a plot. It's, yes, it's, I it's love, beautifully written. It's a great story. Uh, and if, you, if you're listening, you can read it in 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't take you a long time to read these yes. four chapters. Wait till you get to chapter 3. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go there. That's that's where it gets a little bit that's right. confronting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that one to yeah, you. Yeah, we'll do that when we get there. Um, so this is where... They're starting to settle back in into to Bethlehem. Yep. Uh, obviously, food is important to survival, and there's no Centrelink. There's no Centrelink. No. So, so just to put it in context for those that are listening, so um, so Naomi is a widow, and she's an older widow now, and so when she comes home. Uh, ordinarily she would need someone to remarry mm. in order to be able to um, have someone to provide for her in in this culture. I know that sounds a bit strange. We'll come to that in Ruth 3, some of the confusion around the culture. 
And that's partly why Naomi, Naomi had everything going for her. Mm. She could have stayed where she was. She mm. could, she actually could have gone back to she had Moab. Youth on her she, side. she had youth on her mm. side. She wouldn't have been hard for her to find a husband and be protected for mm. and, and be provided for, for the rest of her life. So her selflessness to say, I'm going to go where you go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people is actually her showing this Khalil, this, this, this noble character, this loyal love. Um, for the sake of Naomi, because she knew that if Naomi went home, there's a good chance Naomi's mm. not going to mm. be able to survive. Yes. So she's redeeming Naomi by mm. laying down what she wants for the sake of her mother-in-law. And so there's no Centrelink. There needs to be something for these people to survive. That's what that's the background to what we read mm. in, in the story from here on in. It's just helpful for our listeners to understand some of no, that background. No, that's good. That's really helpful. Um, so her Centrelink option... <laughs> is to go out into the fields yes. and basically take the scraps of yep. what she can yep. find. Yep, the gleanings. The gleanings. Um, and along the way she meets Boaz. Yes. Who, once he finds out who she is and the, and her story, um, I think is quite impressed with her loyalty. He is. In fact, he probably says that about her, her yes. noble, nobility, her character. Yep, her Khalil. Her Khalil. There you yep. go. I'm going to remember that. I hope. <laughs> I think I've got it right. <laughs> she finds favour. I keep thinking Superman now, but I'm pretty sure it's I felt like I had Kael. a little... I think it's Kale, actually. Kale, not Kale. I think it's Kale. Kale. Like Kale. Kale. With a... In the front of it. Kale. Kale. Yeah, I'm saying Kale. Kale's the name of Superman when he's on his home planet. Yeah. It's Kale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Superman. I like how that he's a little made She's a, little, a bit of a super superwoman. This, she is a bit this, of a superwoman. Yeah. She finds favour in his eyes. Yes. Um, because of her loyalty and humility. Yeah. Um and he rewards that and 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 lets her, you know, take what she needs. Um she gathers, from what I've read in my little Bible notes of of what um I'm trying to to see my it's an ephah. An ephah. An ephah. Is yep. that how you say it? Yep. Of barley, which apparently how much is, about is it? 13 kilograms. Yeah, I thought it was a fair bit. I remember thinking it's a lot. lot of barley. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot of barley. I mean, you'd probably be sick of barley yes, by the end of it. Yes. But you'd be happy you'd if make you can. a lot of bread out of that, wouldn't you? Nice bread. I'd, yeah. I'd eat that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they had butter in those days. but um. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they would have had butter. <laughs> I'm sure cows Everything were, is were better with yep. butter. That's yep. my well, little. Certainly goat's milk. They would have had a lot of goats. Yes. And everything is better with butter. You're absolutely right. I agree. Yeah. So she ends up with, you know, Boaz's blessing to go and collect what she needs. He he encourages some of his um, workers to pull go out over some and stalks. Above. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's that picture to me, and I don't know, that idea of sometimes we think, and maybe this is more of a Pentecostal way of thinking, but, um, you know, we, we, we think we've just got the scraps. Ah, and yes. God's saying... Yeah. I've There's actually more. got more for you. Beautiful thought. Um, and no, that, that's a beautiful thought. And that you're right. I mean, that's probably the other end of the spectrum from the <laughs> theology of suffering. But yeah, God, God's Jesus said that. You know, how much more will your Father give you beautiful, good gifts? You know, He delights in giving mm. gifts to His children. Mm. Yes, and that we should be excited about. Yeah, that He's looking for reasons to bless. Maybe some a little bit of history to, follows on from the, the fact there's no Centrelink. So, so this practice that they were doing when they, when Ruth goes out into the field, um, it comes out of the Levitical law. It's it's um, the law of gleaning mm. and harvest. And what would happen is the law told them that when you glean in your fields, don't don't when you harvest in your fields, don't harvest right to the edge, don't take everything, mm. leave some of it 
for the poor and the widow and the foreigner okay. and the orphan. Yeah. So they were actually told to do that. And it's a principle for us. We shouldn't use up everything we have on ourselves. We should have room. The term we say we're going through a poor patch, it actually that's what a poor patch is. It's it's actually mm. a patch of land that was left for the poor. Wow. And it also is when you when you're uh, when you're beating out your olives, so that's how they would shake the beat the olive tree. It's, don't go over it twice. Mm. Leave the leftovers that hit the ground for the poor. So the picture is rather than going back and take, take, take and make sure you don't miss any, if you don't get it the first time, mm. leave it and mm. trust that God will provide for you as you provide for the poor. And so the poor would come along behind the harvesters and they would literally just glean. They would take. Wow. So that's allowed within the law. But this Kail that, that Boaz is showing is he's actually saying to his workers, when you're harvesting, throw a bit extra yeah, on the ground. give us some choice L- Yeah, bits. give us some extra yeah, bits. Yeah. Yes, like she is such a noble character for what mm. she's done for her mother-in-law. Mm. I want you to go over and above mm. and deliberately just see. I just see the harvesters walk along pulling out extras and throwing <laughs> them on the ground just to – just to be, um, just to to be extravagant mm. in their goodness towards this noble woman. And I'm assuming that probably for a, a person of his stature was probably not the way it was normally. You know, was not maybe all. begrudgingly given or kind well, of. Yep. Well, think about m- it. Minimize what what th- is left. Think behind. about it in uh, you know you, you think about what every movie you've ever seen from ancient times or the Middle Ages and. How, you know, oh, if you're going to give money to the arms to the poor, you just do it begrudgingly yes. or just yeah. offhandedly without even caring yeah. about Tick it. Tick a box. Tick a box. That's mm. right. And that's human nature. That's yes. that defining that's what's right. good for me. That's yeah. taking from the tree. This is a picture of someone who's going, I'm not going to do what's good mm. for me. I'm going to do what's good for others. Yeah. So it's this is upside down kingdom. She's it's, met her match. She, she has. They're both mm. perfectly aligned in that yes. way. This is a picture of what Jesus is like. Mm. Those who who those who give up their life for me will find it. Yes. It's, it is upside down kingdom of God mm. stuff, and it's a picture in a, in a place when there's darkness and the, everyone is taking for themselves. This is a shining beacon of hope. Mm. The story mm. that throughout history there's always been people yes. in dark times who will live by God's way. And I'm assuming now that Naomi probably is not going to be changing her name to Mara. No, anytime no. soon. She, she's pretty excited, isn't she? Uh, she, yes. she Comes back with this effort of she goes, what the heck? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't expecting all that. I think this may be when the plan begins to, you know, seed in her yep. mind of yep. maybe, maybe what could be next. What's the next thing? What's Who's next? What's, <laughs> what's God going to do next? Absolutely. No, it's a great picture. Yeah. Anything else in Ruth 2 there? No, I think that that, that covers, you know, like you say, I think that meeting, meeting of minds and yep. that upside down – Umness of the kingdom and yep. that generosity of heart. Yeah. So Ruth goes back and she spends the rest of the harvest there. Naomi yep. says, "Stay there. Yeah. You know, out of the fields, you might get treated badly, like yeah. you're saying, but yes. stay ne- stay near Boaz. I think be that's safety after. as well. Yes, that's definitely yeah. something. The idea of a single woman being out there. Yes, there was danger. It well, wasn't. Yeah. It I mean, wasn't. I'm sure, you know, even some of Booth's uh, Boaz's employees probably weren't nice blokes yeah. either. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rough but around the edges. A bit rough around the edges, but. But there's obviously a safety yes. there. Yes. And that's a part of this redemption process as well, that Jesus brings safety to mm. us. And you see Jesus allowing safety to the woman caught in adultery. I did that with Simon, which will be coming out next, I think next week or the week after, have the conversation around God's grace that, that, that um, you know, that Jesus is always extending safety to mm. people in yeah, his kingdom. Hurt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll head over to uh, Ruth 3. So we're 
to chapter 3, which in my Bible is called Ruth and Boaz at the thresh- Threshing Floor, yep. but I've, I've retitled it. What have you titled it? Just The Seduction. <laughs> Yes. As set up by mother-in-law. <laughs> yes, yes. Mother-in-law's doing the seduction, <laughs> yes, isn't she? Yes. She's, she's, she's running she's, the show. She's kind of doing a little makeover. She's saying, Ruth, get your best frock on. Yeah, get off those morning clothes. Yeah, that's get right. Get your makeup Go on. Go have a shower, a put some perfume, you know, put on your best look, really. Yeah, get yeah. your hair done. Um, which is, yeah, it's, thinking about that is most, most uh, daughter-in-laws would probably <laughs> – <laughs> be a little shocked of, with yeah, that, but yes. um, yes, you know she's seen an opportunity, obviously, mm. from Boaz's tre- treatment of yeah. Ruth. Um, she's seen his heart, yes, and therefore she's seen something that could be, um, I guess, assuring their future. Yeah, that's and right. She's seen this could be the answer that's to their right. future. Yep. So, yeah, I was hoping you could maybe unpack some of. Um, some of the things that happen and, and what what um, Naomi suggests to Ruth gotcha. um, and, and why it's quite daring and yeah, um, sure. controversial if if discovered. Yeah, well, th- you're right. Because, because we can read this and we can overlay a 21st century lens on it, when we do, if we don't take the time to understand the, the ancient practices, it'll be one of those what moments that we're talking about mm. here. It's quite confronting. Um, I wrote down in my notes here for this that um, depending on how you read this story, it's, this chapter, it's either beautifully romantic, <laughs> it's incredibly creepy that there's an age difference between this um, yes. this older man and mm. this younger woman. It's God at work or it's uh, a nobility in both of them as they have care for other people. Mm. And so, and I think that's where, where we want to go. But um, a lack of understanding of this story will lead people to think it's it does well one will be just confusing yes like oh, i'll skip over it but there is a beauty mm. and there is a, a beautiful picture mm. that we ultimately is fulfilled in jesus mm. and how jesus relates to us that if we can see in this story if we take that time so there is some confusing stuff um, remembering that the principle is uh, as well as this we haven't even really touched on it yet the we talked about the principle of gleaning and and, mm. and, and allowing the poor there's this other principle which is the over overarching underlying principle of the entire book of Ruth. And that is another law in the old Testament called the law of the kinsman redeemer mm. or the law of Levite marriage, guardian yeah. redeemer. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically the, because of the economic culture, and once again, you've got to place yourself into ancient bronze age because there's no Centrelink, there's no welfare. Um, and so, and in this culture, it's a patriarchal culture. And so um, it's very difficult for women uh, and children to survive if they aren't uh, under the care and protection of our of, of a male. Of a male. Yep. Now that sounds incredibly patriarchal, and yes, it is. And you know, if, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're not in that place anymore, mm. where that's the case, because uh, history has shown that you know the patriarchy hasn't always done a good job. But in this context, compared to all the nations around, where the the males of the household basically had complete control, complete say over um, the, 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 their wives and their children with their property were there to be used however they want. Basically, it was this whole eating from the tree. I can just do what I want. I'm in control here. You serve me and my purposes and what I want to make me feel good. That was not how the Mosaic law pictured this. The Mosaic law understood that there was that patriarchal society there and that the fact was it was very difficult in mm. the economy. There was no no welfare system. 
uh, for it to work. So what would happen is if, uh, in Naomi's case, if her husband died, she would not have a source of income. Mm. And so what would happen is it would be incumbent on the, first of all, if a man's, if a man died and his wife was left a widow, it would be incumbent on the man's next brother in line to marry that woman and have children to continue on that line and continue on that heritage and their connection to land and their financial security mm. and stability. So it, that does seem foreign to us and it almost, you can see it's a recipe for going wrong. Yes. But if you compare it with what the other nations were doing around about where a man would just say, I don't want you. And the woman would be out on the streets with no hope of survival. Yeah. It actually is quite redemptive yes. in that sense. And yeah. so what would happen is it would say, you know, if, um, if, if a man died, then, uh, the next one would do it. And if it couldn't find the next one, it'd be, it'd basically mm. be the nearest kinsman redeemer, the nearest family member would yeah. be the one who would be obligated to do that. So that's mm. the underlying story. That protective that's kind of protective system. thing. Mm. So it does set over 21st century lens. It sounds, it sounds quite crass, but in that culture, it's actually a good thing. Mm. It's, it's the most hope filled thing that could work in that culture to allow for, um, for someone to, to be provided for and mm. cared for and have, and have a future. Mm. So it's worth noting that. And that's that term, the kinsman redeemer. So mm. they're actually buying back the family and the household and the land of that widow. Kids are just hot. Can they? Yep. They're all good. The kids they're are just, all good. they're all hovering into the kitchen. <laughs> so yeah. So that's the background to what's going on in the story. Now there's some little intricate things that you probably want to ask, like what's going on with the, yes. the seduction I mean, and, and putting all that it in that stuff. frame, what you've just framed the story with too, is obviously being a, you know, a strongly patriarchal society. This is quite a, um, it is quite a risky move that they're taking to women who are mm. in a vulnerable position. Yes, once again, this could go wrong. Yes, it could. Their plan could go wrong. They're so, making a plan based on the assumption that what they've seen of of Boaz yeah. is that he he has this kale, yeah. he has this noble character, yep. and so let's let's see whether or not he mm. let's proposition him and yes. see whether or not he'll take it to the next level. That's right, and take it beyond just scattering a few gleanings and actually uh, take us and buy us back and mm. redeem us. Yeah. Well, just to, I mean, it is. You know, Boaz mentions it towards the end, I think, of the chapter. But it, you know, the whole idea of firstly her, of Ruth going to the threshing floor. It, you know, I think no woman apparently should be on the threshing floor. Yes, so the fact, yeah. do you know why um, that I is? I don't actually, okay. not off the top of my head. I would have studied it at some point, but it, yeah, it doesn't. It, uh, I'm not sure why. Speaks to the patriarchy again, it probably. probably <laughs> I think it probably does. Mm. I mean, I would imagine this is this is the threshing floor. The men are hard at work. I wonder if this is the money some floor. of the goings on. This yeah. is like the tradies workshop. Yeah, yeah. So it could be yeah. I, debauched, I, a little bit I think, debauched. I think sort of potentially setting. that could yes. be the setting. That would yes. just be my guess as to why. So uh, maybe it should be no noble woman should be on Yeah, no noble woman should be on the threshing floor. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise yes. you no, might there be might have been a few noble women with, on the yeah, you know, yeah. another label. I think you're probably right. Actually okay. that does make sense. Yeah. I okay. think that's probably a little bit so of what's going on here. So yeah. it's an, you know, it's not a proper environment for someone who, who wants to keep good yeah, character. Absolutely. Her integrity yep. that she's demonstrated is potentially on the line. Wow. And maybe we're going to see that. I, I look, this is news mm. to me, but I love this thought because if that's the case, that may be why at the end of this chapter, he sends her away and says, make sure no one knows yeah, you're yeah, here yeah. because it's, he could be, if anyone accuses her of being there, he could yeah. throw her integrity. That's right. Uh, call her integrity into question. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I've not thought about it like that mm. before, but that that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So she's risking a lot to make this work. Yes, and she's doing it. 
it's her mother-in-law again who's yeah. asking her to do this. And she's she's not familiar she's necessarily not with these Jewish customs either. That's so right. She's just following along, trusting her mother-in-law, yeah. saying it'll be okay. Mum's mum's mother-in-law's going. It'll be all right. God's not going to let this rest. It'll be okay. Boaz won't let this rest yep. until it's done. And then, so not only she's stepping onto a into a um, a context or an environment that's you know risky, but yes. then she's telling her daughter-in-law to uncover his feet as he lies down after after eating and drinking, probably drunk. Let's be honest, in good spirits. In good spirits, it says, doesn't um, it? Yeah. You know, he's going to go have a lie down. Then Ruth is to go and approach and cover his feet and lie down, um, which, you know, could be seen as a seductive move. Yes, yes. But we're told that it seems it's a noble move. For it's you. a noble move, yes. and he discovers her there in the middle of the night when he feels something at his feet, and he discovers Ruth. So, what's that idea of? Why do you think he uncovers the feet? Is it to is it to wake him? My my thought was, you know, when you're cold, yes, you, 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 <laughs> you're, you're stirred. So it's not a rough way of, you know, I bumped the microphone. <laughs> Didn't tighten drop the microphone. The mic. Drop the mic. Mic drop. Yeah. So, is it uncovering his feet to wake him up? Yeah. To um, sort of. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up because I'm gonna go off the top of my head and then I just look I'll look it up on okay. on ChatGPT. My understanding is that it is um it is a a metaphorical request for protect to come under protection. Okay. See the cloak is the symbol of um of their authority. Okay. Remember the woman says I can just touch Jesus yes. the hem of Jesus' cloak. Mm-hmm. So their cloak was their mantle. It was the thing that they covered, and they would sleep over with their cloak over them. So to come underneath the cloak was a picture and a request to come underneath the authority of that one. Oh, so okay. so it's not like she's putting her hand up his pants or anything no, no, like no. that. It's a re- it, it could be read that way, but yes. it's not. It's this request to come underneath mm. his authority. Let's see what ChatGPT says because that's my memory of it without researching yes. it. I just said what is the significance of Ruth uncovering Boaz's feet. It's derived from the context of the biblical story of Ruth. Oh, I don't need all the details. Thanks. I'll just ask for the basics. Um, I don't need to know who Ruth is. We can skip ahead of that. <laughs> uh, now, to understand the significance of Ruth uncovering Boaz's feet, we need to look at a particular episode in the story. In Ruth 3, Naomi advises Ruth to approach Boaz. We know that too. The uncovering of Boaz's feet symbolizes Ruth's humility, submission, and loyalty to him. It signifies her willingness to be under his protection Mm. and care. There we go. We're on the Mm -hmm. right track. In the cultural context of the time, uncovering someone's feet could be seen as a symbolic act of requesting or proposing marriage. By uncovering Boaz's feet, Ruth is essentially expressing her interest in marrying him and him fulfilling his role as her kinsman redeemer. Mm. So yes, it is definitely a request for mm. for marriage, but we need to think of it not as a request in a sexual way for no. marriage. It's this whole covering and servant. protection. She says, "I'm your, I'm your servant. servant." Yes. So it's this. I'm gonna. I want to honor you, and I'm I'm requesting that you fulfill your role mm. and provide for me and my mm. mother-in-law. So it, see, it suddenly becomes a beautiful thing. Yes. Where it, what seems like it could be creepy is actually mm. has a, a beauty to it yes. when it's put in its context. It actually brought to mind for me. And I might be totally jumping the gun, but as I try to point towards Jesus, but another story in the New Testament um, when um, Mary comes to wash. Oh, yes. I think there's Jesus a similarity feet there. In yes. Perfume. Yes. And again, kind of an interesting picture of, okay, what, well, you know. Well, the Pharisees there a, looked at it and went, what's yeah, the what about? Is she, what is she yeah. doing? But yeah. again, it was that. Uh, that la- that submission before yes. Jesus yeah. and, and Jesus says she has in- done a beautiful thing yes. for me. Yes, 
Again, he's redeemed that picture. <laughs> it's, he's redeemed a picture that, because mm. you know, depending on whether there's one Mary or two Marys and the story and mm. different gospels have different mm. different things about this anointing, but at least in one of them, Simon the Pharisee says, um, if if this man was really a prophet, he would know the kind of woman mm. that she is, mm. that she has lived an, mm. an unscrupulous life in the town. And so Jesus is then turns around and says, she has done a beautiful thing for mm. me. That's redemption. Yes. That's beautiful. Gosh, yeah. thanks. Thankfully, Jesus does, you know. Yeah. Forget, you know, he yeah. lets us in be. <laughs> totally. Well, I was listening to your podcast last night, actually, and the guy was saying, I was on my way home from church last night, and he was saying, he was saying, um, I'm getting more and more comfortable with the fact that Jesus disappointed everyone. Mm. In fact, as you read the Gospels, the only person Jesus didn't disappoint is the Father. Yeah. Because he, he lets people down because he is so radically different in mm. his treatment. Yeah. Like, in his own disciples get disappointed yeah. by the way he treats certain yeah. people. But he's on a radically different mission and no mm. one gets it. And and then they were talking about Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. And mm. I think we'll probably look at that in Revelation actually. And and you know, we all go, oh, it's great Jesus is a lion, but you don't keep lions in cages. No. Uh, well, it's that picture of Aslan, isn't it's, it? In, it's Aslan you know, in C.S. Narnia. He's yeah, exactly. Good, but he's not. He's, he's dangerous. I dangerous. Think. Yes, or that's not right. Safe or yeah, exactly. And that's that's Jesus. Yeah, and um, that's this redemptive story yes. that that Jesus is radically different to mm. what we think, what we would expect. The other thing that comes to mind when I look at what they're doing is quite radical, and they have good intentions. They have integrity. Yes, and often we can all be in situations where. Um, our actions can be uh, seen as or be questioned as to why we're doing something a certain way or we perform to what we think people's expectations are of us. Yep. But that idea of integrity and acting in what we know God is wanting us to do and not worrying about what other people think. Yes, yeah. To me is as a pe- as a trying to reform as a people pleaser, I think that that's, that's hard to do. Because mm. we do want to do what, you know, we want to be seen to be always doing the right thing in, in the eyes of, of, people of people and yeah. not necessarily what God calls us yeah. to do. And sometimes he is asking us to do something that on the surface is like, what are you doing? But he's got a plan for There's that. There's a redemptive plan behind it yes. that somehow looks uncomfortable. Yes. Or, yes, that's yes. right. And that's that's this story, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right there. The turning upside down is, you know. Yeah, the upside down kingdom. Uh, yeah. Yep. Countercultural. Sure. Um, yeah. The other thing um, I found interesting, and and it, you know, again speaks to, um, well, it speaks to I guess the age difference. But Boaz is really grateful for what Ruth has done. Yeah, he's probably got and a that, pretty good wicket. Yeah, it? I know. So <laughs> yeah. <That's right>. um, <laughs> Sorry, being too bit. So is it just there. is it just that gratitude is purely because. She's giving the, an old fella a chance and of a new life, you know. Or well, is there more to it than, I, than that? I, I, I'm sure he gets. I'm sure he thought it. You know, he's got this beautiful young woman. I'm sure yes. there's a part of that. He's a man. Um, I'm sure that's there. But I think he is. If you look at what he says mm. in verse ten, he says, "The Lord bless you." This is after the whole uncovering thing. Mm. You are showing even more loyalty, family loyalty, mm. than you did before. Yeah. For you have got, not gone after a younger man, whether yes. rich or poor. You're not looking out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You could have. Yeah, you could yeah. have had anybody, yeah, yeah. but you've chosen yeah. me. Yeah. You know, I don't deserve yeah. this. Yeah. And you've he would cho- understand she's he, looking after. He, he would understand. Naomi too. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what he's commending her for. Mm. He's going, and the fact that he can call her my daughter shows there's an age difference mm. there. But he is saying, you have, you could have any bloke you want. And you're going to pick wrinkled old me, mm. 
but you're doing this because you have shown an, an even greater ability of character. It's one thing to go around gleaning for your mother-in-law. Now you're actually pre- prepared to give up mm. life with some young handsome hunk yeah. because you want to redeem and buy back your families. And that's that's the nobility mm. of it. So I think he respects that mm. deeply. And I think he... He, he she doesn't go away empty handed. No. She, he's like, no. here have I don't know what six measures would be of barley, but I have heard it before, but I I, I can't remember exactly. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yes. Um, it is a lot. You know, that's that I think that says a lot about his yeah, generous nature again. Yeah. But um you know, that would be, I guess, very reassuring for them to know that they are going to be looked after right from the get-go. Definitely. And and this is a big step up. I mean, there's no guarantee that just because he's, um, you know, letting her glean, mm. that it's a it's a big step from letting someone glean in your field yes. to being your wife. Yes. It's a huge step up. So yeah. there was a there was a gamble on mm. their part yes. in this. It could have backfired. It's, yes. I think we need to think about that. Mm. That, um, you know, this is a proposal that there's no guarantee it's going to happen. No. And as we read on in the next chapter, it's not guaranteed that Boaz. No, it's not even guaranteed that he will do yes. it because yes, or can he do says, it because he of can the do it. That's right. He actually says, "I might not be able to." Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. I will if I can, but I might not be able to. So there, yeah, there's this. There's there's no guarantees here. Yeah. It's it's a gamble, but they're trusting God mm. all the way through it. Yeah, maybe God's in the middle of this. Mm. Yeah, great. So we're going to move on to chapter four now, where we see the outcome. Fantastic. Let's do it. Okay, so we come to the conclusion of this four-chapter yeah. story. We um, have a crisis moment and we now we need crisis. to see the resolution of that That's crisis right. moment. Yep. It's reached a climax and, you know, just at the end of Chapter 3, Boaz has promised, you know, he will not rest until the matter is settled yep. that day. So we see him now go into action and it's this idea and something you've already touched on, this idea of the, the guardian Redeemer, yep. Yep. the patriarchal society, the attachment to land. Yep. Again, this this That's idea right. of the importance of land. Yeah, well, it was so important, the family land thing, that it was supposed to be that every jubilee, every 50th year, the land would revert back to its family of origin. So if they fell on hard times, they sold themselves. They actually sold the land, but they never sold it indefinitely. They sold oh, it for a value oh. up to, so if it was sold in fif, it was sold 50 years out, it would be worth the full 50 years of harvest. But if okay. it was only 10 years left, the value of the land would be less because okay. they're only getting 10 years of harvest. Then it has right. to revert back to the family of origins. That was part of God's economy to great equalizer, to make yeah. sure that the rich wouldn't just keep getting richer and the poor wouldn't keep getting poorer. Yeah. Sadly, there's no actually, actually no history, no evidence in Jewish history, in Israel history that they even uh, ever obeyed that law. Wow. They should have, but yes. they didn't. But that was part of God's equality economy that we mm. see in the Mosaic law. So, um, yeah, it was supposed to revert back. Because there's also, and I, this is something I don't fully understand, but the idea that, um, so Moab, Moab, Boaz, Boaz. <laughs> <laughs> um, he hunts down this other relative that is first in line. Yep. He's obviously a closer relative in some way. Yes. Yep. And in order to maintain um, the name of the dead, with the, there's the idea of that he has to uh, 
maintain the property as well. But yes. then this guardian redeemer, this potential guardian redeemer says, I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. Yep. So there's something related to this complexity there as well yeah. is there of if you own another land and then you take on somebody else's that it's yeah I haven't I haven't looked into exactly what it means but I think even if just based on the whole mosaic law I think probably what he's saying is if if I take this and buy this and this goes belly up yeah I stand to lose the rest of yeah, my estate okay. as well yeah, yeah if this falls flat in its yeah. face I could have implications yeah. for the rest of my family yeah, and yeah. my household okay yeah but which once again it's doing I mean, if he had been doing what he should have been doing, this other redeemer should have redeemed. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he was expected to. He yeah. chose not to. Yeah. Um, which is obviously the divine redemption power yes. of God, but that he still he had Boaz in mind the whole time. Yeah. But I think that's what's going on. He's saying, if this goes bill up, I'm going to lose my other estate. Mm. Um, and he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to look after myself. Yeah. His attitude is, I'm not going to help her. No. It's too risky for me. <laughs> and obviously we don't know all the background to this, much of this 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 character. Um but maybe maybe Naomi does know of him and and maybe. and I and and sees that Boaz is actually a better option yeah. because we've seen the character of Boaz that if anyone's going to be a champion for them, yeah. it's not going to be that guy. No, it's that's going to right. be Boaz. So, so we don't see what's going on there. But you'd have to think that if this guy's closer than Boaz, mm. she would know who he yes. was. Yes. Yeah. That's left hanging. You're right. Yeah. It's like she's probably going, Lord, not that one. Please, <laughs> not that one. Hedging my bet here. <laughs> yeah. But Let's look, it all, it, all, it all thankfully does work out. <laughs> it does work and, out. Um, you know, sandals are removed. Yes, sandals are removed. <laughs> and it's faces are spat in. the whole in. feet thing. It <laughs> seems to be a very important. It, it was very important. Yeah. yeah well, it, there's dirt involved. Yes. There's cleanly, you know, the whole washing of feet in Jesus' time. Yeah. It's still there. I mean, yeah. we're walking around in sandals and mm. dirt, dusty roads. Mm. Yeah, and everything else on the road. So there's a lot of feet. Yeah. You could do a theme on feet actually through the whole Bible. We could. It's we definitely could. there. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, so they, they do exchange, um, you know, in front of elders and witnesses, yeah. who are the witnesses. And this story, what happens is once Boaz does it, there's this exchanging of, of sandals. This is actually a, um, a sanctified story of what's supposed to happen. Because in, in the Mosaic law, when this kinsman redeemer thing happened, it was supposed to be that if someone wouldn't redeem, you were supposed to go off, take off their shoe and spit in their face <laughs> as if to say, this is what happens to anybody who doesn't do what they should do. So wow. they've actually sanctified it a little bit and just got, oh, let's just make it a transaction of sandals. But there was supposed to be this deep shame mm. for a person who wouldn't fulfill okay. the, redeem, the, redeem, the redeemer role. Wow. Yeah. So this story waters that down a yes. bit and, and tends not to focus so much on the shame of the guy who won't do yes. it, but focus on the fact that yeah. God was working behind yes. the scenes to bring about Boaz mm. into the equation. And I guess the mercy that yeah, That's Boaz, right. you know, yep. chose. Yep, so, for sure. you know, then comes the nuptials, the marriages, you know, the, the elders are, um, you know, blessing their union. It's it's happy days for everybody. It's a, it's a happy ending. Yes, it it's, is a beautiful a, happy it's ending. It's a beautiful There's a baby born. Baby is, you know. a new, yep, a a son. new grandson for, for Naomi, like a son for Naomi again. Yeah, so she's she's a happy grandma. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how, we don't get a sense of how much time has, has this has taken, but I assume it's over one season of harvest. I would really. imagine it's, it's pretty, pretty quick. quick. Yeah, so I would imagine it's, it's all happened pretty quickly. Turning, you know, they're yeah. turning... <laughs> going to say turning a frown upside down. It, but it certainly did turn a frown upside down very quickly. <laughs> turned Mara bitterness into Naomi yes. joy, definitely. Yeah. And I like this idea, you know, the, 
Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Um, you know, Naomi has a son and yep. they named him Obed. Yep. Uh, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we get a little bit of a genealogy of of David. Yep. Um, and then Perez was the father of Hezron. I know this off the top of my head. Okay, go, go, go. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. And Obed, the father of David. Jesse. Jesse. Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. <laughs> yeah, I was just getting too cocky there, Not wasn't I? Not that I, I want to be picking no, you up, I, but. No, sh- you're right. Jesse, the father. But it's getting, co- you know, this is getting to, it's pretty close to some, you know, juicy times. And obviously going from judges to king, you know. Yes, being ruled that's by right. kings. That's, that's, that's why this is a bridge story. Yes. In a time of mess. And this actually links us all the way back again. All the way back to to ape to mm. the, the patriarchs Jacob. We, it, it begins with Perez, um, but Perez is the son of Judah. Mm. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, um, and so it's linking it all the way back there. Um, and interestingly enough, to Perez is there's also another link that's worth noting. Mm. Um, in this story, Naomi is put up. Sorry, Ruth is put up as this woman of noble character. We didn't really touch on it, but she's a Moabitess. Mm. She's from Moab. Now, back in the law, it says no Moabite is allowed to enter the family of Israel until 10 generations. Mm. There was no love lost between these two mm. people. When, when, when Israel came out of the Exodus, they wanted to go to Moab and they had a big punch up, basically a big fight. And there was no love lost between them. They, they, they had a great disdain. So the very fact that this woman from this foreign nation who would look down on and scorned, mm. she was like a Samaritan woman in the same, same way that Jesus reaches out to the Samaritan woman. This picture is picked up, but back to Perez, Perez is the son, one of the two twin sons that's born to Judah via Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law that he sleeps with because, and she pretends to be a prostitute. So there is a direct link between Perez, between Tamar and Ruth as both women who you would not think. Outliers. They're outliers. Mm. They wouldn't belong and shouldn't belong Mm. in the redemptive plan of God. Mm. And yet God actually puts them in there and they're in the genealogy in the New Testament of Jesus. So I love that. It says a lot about. And Bathsheba's in there as well. So you've got, you've got Tamar. I mean, is it Philippa Gregory or someone has the, the story of these women? She's written fictional stories oh, about these women. That's um, yeah. Mm. So, um, but you've got you've got um, uh, you know Tamar, Bathsheba, Ruth, Rahab, Rahab. Rahab's the other one mm. who's in the story as mm. well. Mm. And she, Rahab, is um, is at the time of Nashon. So she's in there too. I think she's actually Rahab actually marries one of these guys as well. So in that genealogy are four women who who shouldn't belong, no. according to the patriarch, and no. they should belong. And yet God's showing us something yes. of his redemption in this. He can yes. take mess. His generosity. His generosity. Mm. Yes, it's a magnificent story. Mm. And we have already spoken, I guess, but to how this is pointing to Jesus. Yes. I mean, one of those is very much clearly this genealogy of, yes. you know, God's purpose and plan and... Yep. Um, so you take this genealogy here and you can almost overlay it mm. as a subsection of Luke's genealogy. Yes. It's right yes. there. So that yes. It's like he carbon copies yes. it straight out of here. Yep. Yeah. He, he's done his Old Testament homework. He's, he's done his Old Testament <laughs> homework, yep. And he includes that in to, mm. the, to the genealogy moving forward. Yes. Yeah. It's I beautiful. guess, you know, Jesus is our ultimate guardian redeemer as he well. Is. You yep. know. 
Yeah, he is the re- the kinsman redeemer. Yes. And so when we think of redemption, Jesus is the one who buys us back yes. and redeems us. Mm. And there's other stories of redemption. Um, there's going to come another one later. In fact, uh, Jeff Baxter told me yesterday he's going to preach on this um, in a few weeks' time on the story of Mephibosheth when King David actually redeems Mephibosheth back. Mm. And it's once again, it's a redemption story that all points forward to Jesus. Awesome. Yeah, so there's some great... Uh, pictures and then the New Testament writers pick up on that and they see Jesus as this redemptive character. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's great. great story. Packs a punch. It Definitely does. does. So we'll head over to uh, Revelation, Revelation now. Let's go there. <laughs> Okay, now on to a much-avoided book. (laughs) (laughs) Much-avoided book. This is true. Revelation. Um, It is a weird and wonderful book. It does feel like it belongs in the Old Testament. (laughs) It kind of of does, doesn't it? It fits better with some of the Old Testament literature. It's not one that I would willingly pick up and read, I must say, unless we've been doing a series at previous churches because it – it's hard to understand yep. all yep. the sim, you know, it's a lot of symbolism. Little, and I guess of one of the questions just to, I guess, kick us off is <laughs> not why do we avoid Revelation, but how should Revelation be read in general as a book, do you good think? Good question. I think that's a really good question. And my view on how that should be read mm. has def- definitely changed in okay. the last few years. In the last five years, I have really morphed. Um, I was raised on... Uh, very avid, what they would call futurist view or dispensationalist view. And that is that uh, with the exception of chapters one, two, and three, which was written to a group of churches in Turkey at that time, the rest of it is all about uh, a plan, a prophetic vision for the future, things that will happen at the end of time. So I was I was um, raised on that mm. and I'm a was a big fan of the Left Behind books that, oh yes, you know, still make a great read. But, but uh, you know, I, I loved, enjoyed reading. <laughs> I look back now, cheesy not, yeah, American movies. <laughs> yeah, no, the, oh, the movie, the original movie, movie was just dreadful. Actually, I don't think Nicolas Cage's one was even better, any better either. But the books, um, the books were huge, best-selling mm. books mm. Of, of their time. I've since read them more in more recent years too. Well, going back five or six years. And I realised well, they're actually not that great. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Jenkins is, I mean, Jerry Jenkins has written some other stuff, but they're really not that great, enthralling. Um, although I enjoyed them at the time, but I was, I was raised on left behind the theology about that this was mm. all to do with the future. Mm. What I have, what I have come to believe myself, and I, know I would probably find that I'm not going to part company with people who would differ, but I'm much more comfortable now with seeing that this was actually the whole thing was written to to these people. At the time. So this letter was supposed to bring a sense of encouragement, Mm -hmm. not despair to these seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, who were suffering persecution under the Roman Empire and were were unable to... uh, unable to have a degree of freedom in their world. They, even to the point where they were forced to buy and sell on the black market. There's a little hint to some of the things we'll see in the book of Revelation. Mm. So so a lot of these things that we think are um, c- quite confusing. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. We'll come back to the word. Yeah. Remind me to come back to the word yes. apocalyptic okay. in a minute. But those things are actually made a lot of sense mm. to these people. This whole, you know, we talk about the one world government and all that sort of stuff. 
you got to realize to these people at this time, they already had a one world government. Yes. They already had a mm. king who was claiming to be the, who was claiming to rule mm. over everything, who was telling them, controlling what they could do and what they couldn't do, who controlled how they could buy and sell. So all those things that we, we project into the future actually very much apply to these people at this time. Okay. So as I've done that, I've started to realize that this book should not be read predominantly in the future. And, and you can read it as patterns or cycles of human behavior that mm. human sin yep. leads to uh, to the future. But if we now read it through the lens of what are the, what are the particular the things time? that are happening? Now, we're not reading today the f- opening chapters but I think this is actually the first time in the podcast we've addressed the book of Revelation. So, and I'll, I'll probably come back to it later on when we do other parts of the book. But um, when you see the opening chapters, the Lord has seven different things to say to seven different churches. Yeah. Right. So even when we say, what's the Lord saying to the church today? Uh, as if God's saying one thing to the entire church. Well, he, he may be doing something grand in the world, but I think God has specific things to say to each each different congregation based on their behavior. So yeah. there's some churches there that um, are persecuted deeply and and the, the word is stick with it, stay in it. There's other churches there that have succumbed to the the Roman Empire. Mm. They've, they've succumbed to empire. Mm. They which have, we see in a lot of the other letters. Which we see yeah. in the other letters as mm. well. That's right. They, they, they've compromised mm. on their faith mm. and uh, they, they have actually become complicit with the empire. And so there's rebuke there. And so if we think about those two things especially, then we bring it forward, bring the rest of the book forward. The question as we read the rest of the book of Revelation needs to be for us, one, where are we complicit with empire? We're in our life, and when I by empire, I mean the empires of this world, the, the patterns of this world, the, the Babylons, culture. the culture, mm. yeah, and all of these things, the Egypts, the Babylons, and the Romes. In fact, in this book, it's called Babylon, but it's talking about Rome, the Roman mm. Empire. Mm. So, and they, the, the, the empires of this world are always that way inclined. They're always um, defining the elite, the rich, the elite are exp- at, uh, treating and mis- mistreating the poor, mm. treating them poorly. Um, and that's why Jesus comes along as the upside down kingdom. He does it differently. So where are the two questions for us as we read it is, are we, where are we complicit with empire? And second, if we're being persecuted, how should we view our persecution? Mm. And what you see in this book is very different to how most Christians are dealing with their persecution today. Mm. Most Christians today are shouting back and demanding freedom from their persecution. Yes. Especially when I say most Christians, I mean most Western Christians. Yeah. So they're overreaching, over, the... overreaching, claiming more for ourselves. Mm. We're actually trying to, we're actually operating under the kingdom of empire mm. ourselves. We want to rule. We want to control. Mm. And Jesus says, no, you would give up control. Yeah. In yeah. fact, Peter wanted Jesus. We are the fringes. We're on the fringes. So Peter wanted Jesus to go into Jer- Jerusalem and do what messiahs are supposed to do, mm. which is defeat the enemy. Mm. Jesus, you need to go in there. And he goes, get behind me, Satan. Mm. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the mm. things of men. Jesus' messianic way of doing things was not empire. Mm. was actually laying down in his life. Yes. And so that's the call of this book. Mm. Now, back but you to say the, he disappointed. Because he disappointed he wasn't, because he wasn't what they expected. He wasn't the general, the no, army general. Right. Yeah. Yep. And since I have learned to read this book that way, it's actually a really enjoyable read. The okay. fear factor goes out of it and it's quite challenging. Oh, it makes me ask questions of my own areas where mm. I might be complicit. And it also encourages me. Mm. So back to what the, the word apocalypse means. If you if you Google the word apocalypse right now, you're going to get mm. Bruce Willis smashing into mm. the moon and the saddle, you know, meteors coming at the earth. And you might get the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is, which mm. is in this story. But the word apocalypse has become synonymous with the end of the world. Yeah. And we love post-apocalyptic mm. stories and movies and all that sort of stuff. Um, the whole you know, that's the whole genre of modern movies. But the word doesn't mean that. No. 
The word just simply means an uncovering. Yes. To to unveil. Yes. And so the apocalypse it means the in fact the very first word it wasn't even called revelation until a few hundred years ago. It was called the apocalypse. You go back to the old versions, it's just called the apocalypse, the unveiling. And so what the story is about is talking to these seven churches who are going through a difficult time and saying, let me unveil and show you what's going on behind the scenes. Let me show you a bigger picture. Yeah, I was feeling when you were talking before that idea of dropping the curtain. Dropping the curtain, seeing what's going on. That's exactly what an apocalypse is. It's like, let me show you what's happening behind Mm. the scenes. And instead of being a frightening thing, that's supposed to be an encouraging Mm. thing. It shows you that God is still working Working. in and through this Mm. situation. You think this is the persecution, but let me show you how... It yes. all is being orchestrated. Yeah, it's not out of God's control. It's not out of God's control. And that is partly why it should be seen as a pastoral mm. encouraging letter mm. rather than um, a challenging letter. And it's also a genre. It's a specific genre, mm. um, a theo, theopocalyptic or something. Okay. It's it's very similar to Ezekiel. Mm. Like you said, it belongs in the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, Zechariah is the same style of prophetic writing as this. It's not supposed to be forth-telling. It's, it's, for, it's not supposed to be foretelling the future. Yeah. It's supposed to be forth-telling. It's showing what's going on mm. behind the scenes. As, as At that time as well. At that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah not all the future. No. Yeah. But we've made we've missed that. That's so to put it back in that context mm. and go, what did this mean to them? Mm. That then helps me to say, what does it mean mm. to me? That's really so helpful. Just a bit of a, an introduction mm. to the book of Revelation, No, Re- that's, Revelation, I think that I that does help as we... I guess unpack some, some of, of the, the symbolism. symbolism. These chapters are full of it, aren't they? Mm. I think when I was, you know, preparing for this um, podcast and looking at, you know, firstly reading Psalm, the Psalm one twenty six, and then Ruth, it was like, yeah, that's it's very easy to see how this relates to this idea of redeemer, yes, Father Redeemer. And then I got to Revelation, I was like, um, where does this fit? Yeah, you know, dot dot dot. I'm not. You know, it's hard. It's it's harder work. Yeah. To why kind of, why did I pick Revelation in the Redeemer Reve- you know, theory? Yeah. But then also coming back to this idea of Creator, Redeemer, and the idea that God is redeeming creation, and maybe not. Maybe I'm. You know, feel free to, you know, not answer this and decide to answer this maybe at another time. Um, but the idea of uh, heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, something that I've been reading recently and this idea of, um, like you say, you you talk about unveiling and what an apocalypse is and, we, you know, we people talk about end times and all of those things. But is your picture of what, from your understanding of what heaven will look like, it is a, it's a renewal of of earth rather yeah. than, you know, we yeah. all have this picture of floating in, in floating clouds. Floating in clouds, yeah. But it is that re- redemptive work and it is that that restoration work yep. of the earth and of of us yep. body and soul i agree um and now your little intro and those sort of thoughts it, it helps me maybe understand a little bit more about how this is talking about that bigger redemptive work it, that that's right that god this is, is doing redemptive on the earth and in the present yep. <laughs> as yep. well as it's not just about. the future that's right yeah got this whole creation recreation mm. thing and then ultimately Revelation ends with the new creation. Yes. And that's right. It's it's the, the new creation, <clears throat> the full redemption of creation is not an obliteration of the past no. and um, and then living in heaven. It's yes. the unification of Floating heaven and around earth. around with wings. No, it's not that. That's right. <laughs> that's a relatively new thing in church history. No. Yeah. You ask most kids today, you know, oh, you know, what happens when you die? Oh, I've got to be with, if I'm a Christian, I've got to be with Jesus in heaven when I die. 
That's actually, we've been so indoctrinated by that, but that's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament spends far more time talking Mm. about the reunification of heaven Mm. and earth, that somehow God will put right Mm. this earth. Mm. Otherwise, what's the point in the Mm. earth? If it's just, is it a failed project that just God does away with? Or does God refine it and, and ultimately bring about new creation? And the story of the Bible is God creates and he continues to recreate despite our mm. decreation. Yeah. And now On we are... On the microscopic um, daily level to all, this. Every little day, yep. the little things we do, everything we're facing, which is what these mm. churches were facing in persecution mm. and the little areas of their economy and how to mm. live and how they interacted with people, not just on the grand cosmic mm. scale, but in everyday life, these little microcosms of Christians who would be redemptive mm. in the work that they did in their community. So that, uh, how do I put it? God's God has started pockets of new creation mm. on the earth to prepare the earth for recreation, mm. to, for the ultimate new creation. Yes. So we are new creation creatures who are supposed to do creation work on the earth mm. in preparation for the final recreation yes. of the earth. Lots of the word mm. creation there. That's a very different picture, mm. this sense of, well, what's the point of doing anything on the earth? Because yes. um, let's just go to heaven. Mm. It's not what the New no. Testament's about. No. no, it does. It it brings yeah, intention to to today into now. Yes. Um. The other thing, just because you know, it is. Some of the pictures are kind of like a bit disconcerting, and you know, you can be a bit fearful looking at things like this if you've yep. got that. What you think, you know, what our normal understanding of apocalypse is from those terrible movies. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, it's right. You're thinking like and walking what, dead. And, and end time, end time <laughs> yes. prepping and all yes. of that, which can, it has, you know, infiltrate, infiltrates yeah. church, churches. Um, you know, something, again, that I've been reading about in my own time and in, in a book that I'm reading at the moment is um, I guess the end, the end times and the idea of end times isn't necessarily this, yet yeah, that bleak apocalyptic pitch all the time. There is this sense in terms of what is said in the word of, you know, life is going to be, life will be going on. It will continue. and and, yeah, Right up to the end. That's right. So not to be, I guess, to take fear out of it as well as we just trust in what God's doing. Um, I guess that's my hope as we As we go through this, this, hopefully we can take the fear out because that has been, most people won't read it because it's scary. Yes. Uh, it's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be encouraging and challenging. Right. Well, should we get cracking yeah, into it. chapter five? All right, go for it. So the scroll and the lamb. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be doing a lot of <laughs> my own sort of thoughts because I feel like I probably. I've got. Thanks. I've got. To I'm going to hand it all over to you. Um, like, I, no, no, no. I won't have all the answers either. <laughs> no, without that's Googling, okay. But I can. I can have a crack. At a so there's things. this idea of. Uh, the scrolls. Yep. So that, then I saw that in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about seals from the ocean. No, not, uh, 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 not those We're sort of seals. We're talking about the seals of, I guess, an ofi- uh, a more wax of an, seal. A wax seal. Yep, a, a, seal up an something official, with authority, an official seal. Yep. That's right. Um, we've got a picture of the lion and the lamb, which I do love that picture yep. of how it points to Jesus yep. being a lion and a lamb. Well, actually, it's, it's even more than that. Let's. Where is that? We see the lion and the lamb. Is that in? Is that in it is, this chapter? Um, yes, it okay. is in this chapter. It is in this chapter. So according to my watch notes, this. it's in verse four. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so what happened? Let's. Should we just? I'm just trying to think how we want to do it. Let, let me just deal with the, the the concept of the lion and the lamb. Yeah, please. It appears a few times in 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 this in this revelation. And each time, it's like John hears something. So mm. he, he says, 
I began to weep, verse four, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. So this elder has said to John, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now John's going to turn around and look. What's he expecting to see? Mm. He's expecting to see a lion. Yeah. And what he sees instead, verse 6, is then I saw a lamb. Mm. So he every, each time he has this sense, he's expecting to see a lion, mm. but each time he expects to see a lion, he sees a lamb. <laughs> he's expecting <laughs> to see rule and noble and yes. kingship and authority, yes. and he sees a lamb yeah. that is slaughtered. Mm. So there is a, a dichotomy between the two. Mm. And that is that in itself tells a story that the mm. way to lionship is through lambship. Mm. That Jesus shows how he becomes the lion. He, he is the lion Serves. because of selfless mm. Mm. Um, giving up his life. Mm. Upside down. Upside again. down kingdom. That's Absolutely. right. That's the picture that's coming through all the way through here. Yeah. Like yes, yeah, so that's lion and lamb. So, what's the idea of the scrolls? Do you so? Think? I what? think because yeah, this this we should say in the book of Revelation, you can pretty much go back to Old Testament books on every every analogy, every page. The mm. seven seals and the seven lampstands yes. and all. That. It's so all seven Old Testament. is obviously a holy. It's that's a, the it's number a, of completion yes. or or fullness. Yes. yes. Anytime you see that, it's wholeness. The, wholeness. <laughs> it's the it's the um, yeah. It's the number of absolute completeness, fulfillment. So that's there. That number seven appears. John loves mm-hmm. the, the number seven in this story <laughs> repeatedly. Um, but if you take a scroll back, there's, a, there's pictures in Zechariah of scrolls. There's pictures in Ezekiel, mm. these, these prophets who are actually of the same genre, this yeah. apocalyptic so genre this is, as well. This is, this is sim- symbols that would be very familiar, very familiar to a Jewish. to a Jewish person. Yeah. yeah. That's right. They A Jew would understand this. So my understanding of a scroll, um, if I go back to some of these Old Testament prophets, is that a scroll is supposed to be a metaphor or a picture talking about um, the history of the world, the, what's really going on, being um, being stored and written down on this scroll. The, the, the plan of God for the, uh, the ages is written on this scroll, and this scroll has been now sealed up. And so these people are going, how does this work? We're under persecution. We're suffering. It, this doesn't make sense. And so there's the picture for them of, oh, there is actually a scroll that explains it all. There is an, a scroll, and this scroll needs to be apocalypsed, mm. needs to be opened up, unveiled. And who is going to unveil this scroll that has been sealed with these seven seals? They want someone to unveil it. You can see John going, I want to know the answers, <laughs> and I can't find anybody to mm. who, who's worthy, worthy. to un, un, apocalypse the scroll. And then, of course, Jesus can um, unveil this mm. scroll. Wow. So it is a, a picture of, of the explanation of what's really going on. Mm. That's what the scroll represents, I think. And that just came to mind. It could be far out thought, but is that does that link in with that idea of the tree of at the beginning of time of knowledge of good and evil? Good and evil? I don't know, that idea of only Jesus can unpack only God uh, should yeah, really have access yes. to that knowledge. I yes. don't know. So yes, it does. So that no, that's a really good thought there. See, I don't think we think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was was there to give them wisdom. Yeah. It's not that wisdom's bad. No. It, it, the intention seems to be in the scriptures that God always wanted us to know good mm. and evil, to mm. know right mm. and wrong. The, in the, relationship to in, him. In relationship to him. The question is, will we trust that what he says is yes. good for us yes. is right for us yes. rather than thinking we know best? Yes. 
So yes, this is another picture of that is that if you will trust me, mm. I will in time give you wisdom. Yeah. I will show you what's yes. right and wrong. Yes. And so, yes, the true knowledge, this is, mm. that makes great sense that this is like God saying, he is the one who is worthy mm. to eat from the tree if you and, haven't got and it feed already. us the fruit of the tree. If you haven't already got it, that's <laughs> yeah. right. If you haven't got it yet, yeah. he's the one. He's another message He's another you. one right yeah, near yeah. the end of the book to yeah, remind yeah. you that, hey, yeah. I want you to have wisdom. I want you to see what's going on, but you've got to, you've got to trust me yeah. that I know what's best for you, yeah. not what you think's best for you. Mm. And that would have been very encouraging to these mm. people. Mm. Oh, there is, the, the Lord does have the scroll. Yeah. Yeah. It's not in the hands of Caesar. Yes. It feels like Caesar's got control mm. of our destiny, but he doesn't. Mm. Yeah. And there's tremendous persecution mm. during the times of this. We, depending on when the, the writers write this, when when the scholars think this was written, it was either written in the 60s or the 90s. Okay. But um, you've got Nero who who um, basically burned. Yes, he burned, was. Oh, he was. He was. He was, he was a villain. He of was the a story. villain. He was mm. a villain. All right, mm. for sure. Um, Domitian was another one who he was the one who actually taxed. Um, so what Domitian did was he he's the one who put the buying and selling. So at, at the at the forecourt in the agora of um, of Ephesus, which was a major trade center, he thought, oh, I can't actually tax everybody um, because the people won't like me. So what I'm going to do is the agora, the trade center, this trade route in Ephesus was where all the spice trade would come from the east, every from the west, sorry, from the east, all of the Indian and, and Middle East and Saffron, all that sort of stuff would all come from there. And it would be there, the, the east and west would meet at this place in Ephesus. It's like Turkey today, it's Istanbul further up the road. Mm. But at Ephesus, it was the time where this would happen. It was the meeting of East and West. And so what he did is he built a whole lot of um, temples in this agora at Ephesus. And he basically said, you can't buy and sell here unless you make an offering to mm. Caesar. And so you had to actually pledge your allegiance to Caesar before you could buy and sell there. Now that was why they were being persecuted because yes. they couldn't, the Christians couldn't do that. No. They wouldn't pledge allegiance to Caesar. So that forced them out of the marketplace, out of the marketplace mm. into the black market. Mm. So in order to survive, they had to have hiked up prices and all that sort of stuff. Now, if you know that and you read later on in a book of revelation about buying and selling and all that, yeah, that makes yeah. suddenly it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's actually then in their day, mm. it makes perfect sense mm. to them. It's not about the future. Mm. It's about in their day, yes. they were, they were taxed out of the market. Yeah. Because they would not bow them. And some evidently did. Mm. Some probably did compromise and go, mm. oh, well, I'm just going to pledge allegiance to Caesar. And the call is don't do that. Yes. Don't do so that. I guess that's where what we can take from that. It might not be that exact not scenario, that, but, but there's Well, we talk about buying all. and selling. Mm. Where do we pledge allegiance to empire? Mm. Where where do we walk into the cheap shops the, mm. the and buy clothes that's convenient for us yes. that have been bought, yes. built on, made on the back of sweatshops yes. in mm. foreign countries? That's pledging allegiance yeah. to empire. Yes. So that should challenge us about mm. these sort of things. Mm. This has radical implications mm. for today for mm. us too, mm. that we just take for ourselves. That's right. And it's very easy for us to do it because we don't think about the supply chains. No. But there's an economy behind that mm. and that's the kind of stuff that mm. Revelation speaks to. And I guess it's speaking to that importance of what we do in the here and now. It matters. Not just this idea of, oh, well, we don't have to care about the environment because right. there's no. heaven. It's no, like actually it's no, not going to burn up anyway. It, it does matters. matter. It matters. Those, for a Christian, our mm. everyday little choices mm. matter. Mm. They have tremendous impact mm. because we are the new creation on the earth. Mm. Yeah. So if we, suddenly it, it brings the Revelation to life in mm. a – that's the challenging bit. It's mm. encouraging, but it's also challenging. Yes. Where are we complicit with empire? Mm. Yeah. So that's the that's the scroll. Sounds He's like got it. Star Wars. <laughs> complicit with empire. Complicit with empire. That's I am right. I'm a Star Wars fan. Yes, me too. 
Good More of a Star Trek fan, but I don't oh, like Star Wars. I'm a Trekkie. That's another episode. I'm not a Trekkie. Oh, I'm a big Trekkie. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Says a lot. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it says. Um, well, that really does, that's really helpful to unpack, you know, some of these pictures that are a bit, mm-hmm. you know, don't, uneasily translatable yes. right from the get-go. Um, I do love, I mean, it ends, you know, there is a nice picture of this idea that you know every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever um and that's a, living apocalypse creatures. right there it's yes, an unveiling and what's unveiling. really going on um yeah. and that's a nice picture again of you know god's plan for all corners of the earth yes. to be to be rescued and to be redeemed yep um, I guess the little kid in me also says, does that mean there are going to be animals in heaven? <laughs> that was something. It's a good question. <laughs> something that my kids ask. Yeah, that's a good question there. Well, Jesus, it says in Colossians 1, he redeems all creation. Yes. So, yes. so um, you know, once again, see, the thing is, is there going to be animals in, animals in heaven? What we're seeing here is what's happening in heaven, mm. but the goal is yes, heaven a, and earth reunified. Yes, reunified. You know. So, what happens in heaven happens on the mm. earth and what happens in the earth mm. happens in heaven. Mm. That's how we should be picturing this. Yeah. So I I don't think you can form a hard, fast doctrine no. one way or another. No. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. But I don't think you should rule it out. No. That's the point. I, I think so. And we're asking the wrong question when we say, are there animals in heaven? Because <laughs> it's not about heaven. It's about heaven and earth. Yes. Yes. That's that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah. Heaven and the earth. Reunification. The reunification. Great. Yeah. Look, that's... You that's know, it for Romans, Revelation 5? I think that's Revelation 5 done for now. All right. I mean, that's, there's <laughs> so much more we could do, we isn't there? on to, yeah, there's, there's enough to unpack in Revelation in, 6. All right, let's go there now. <laughs> so chapter 6. The imagery gets a little more intense and, again, this probably... Could seem scary. It, yeah, it could seem scary and I think it does speak to often the, the picture we have of the apocalypse and what it's going to be like. Yeah, because there's four horsemen and the all horsemen, kinds of... Yeah, yes. that's in there. Yep. So there's, this is where the seals are opened. The yep. lamb opens the, the seven seals um, and we're introduced to... A white horse, a fiery red horse. I don't know if you want to go through each one, but. Uh, well, they, they each symbolize something. Yeah. Okay, so. Would uh, you want me to name the horses? Yeah, you and name you, them. Okay, yep. so we've got first off this white horse and its rider has a bow and is, what I've written down is is this conqueror. Um, he's a conqueror on bent on conquest. Yes, that's it. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's a sense of. Um, as these seals are going to be unpacked, there's going to be um, things happening on the earth. So there is a there is one who is bent on conquest. Mm. So who is bent on conquest in this environment? Rome. Rome. Rome is absolutely <laughs> okay. bent on conquest. Yeah. Empire. So when we say Rome, and I like the word empire because Rome was an empire, but it makes we still have empire today. Yeah. So it's very easy to go. Oh, that was just ancient times. No, no we still have these roots. This is the sinful mm. nature of humanity. Mm. So yes, empire. It's is probably more business now. It, it's exactly right. I mean, the, it is. It's totally. World. It's yeah. the whole business world thing. Yep. And and it was in that time too. Mm. It was. We underestimate 
the importance of economy mm. in the world mm. and Rome, it was the economy. And we see this later on, right at the end of Revelation, it talks about, lists all these sins and it actually says the buying and selling of human slaves. Mm. It's a, it's, it's all economic language. The mm. list of things is all about using other people and stuff. It's no, it was no different back then to mm. what it is now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the empire is now, it's now it's the media and, um, Know, yeah. social media. Influence. In, yes, influence. And, mm. and that's right. And all, and it's just all the same stuff. Yep. It's, it's the human nature of empire. So that's empire is bent on conquest. That's so the first empire. thing that happens. Yep, that's the Then we've the got white the horse. second seal, which is the fiery red horse. Um, and he's going to take peace and I wish I could read my writing. This writer was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth. And, and there kill. was war and slaughter yeah. everywhere. There you go. That still happens. Mm -hmm. You know, these are things that uh, are the result of human sin. Yep. Gets better. No, I'm joking. Doesn't get better yet. <laughs> the black horse. Yep. Comes out with scales. Yep. And wages. Okay. Now we're talking economy. Yeah. Yep. So this is about this is about famine. I heard the voice from among the four living creatures: a loaf of bread. Or three loaves of barley will cost a day's wages. Don't waste the olive oil and wine. What no. on earth is that about? That is about famine, yeah. hardship, abuse of the poor, yep. cost of living, all those sorts mm. of things. Yep. So. It's kind of like plagues, it feels like, doesn't it? Very much oh, the plagues yes. of humanity, of what we yep. do to ourselves. A little later on in the book, probably not in today's chapters, we're going to see a list of plagues poured out. And when you think about them through the end times, you think of the, the, the traditional left behind view is, oh, these are all plagues that are going to happen in the future. But you, that there's, I think there's 21 plagues in Revelation, but but 10 of those are exactly the 10 plagues of Egypt. Yeah. The, flo right. the frogs, the, the, the blood, blood in the water and all that and, sort of stuff yeah. is all there. Nah. It's supposed to be telling you something. You're supposed yeah. to be reading going, this is still the yeah. same problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Human sin is still the same problem. Empire is still the same problem. And so, yes, in this case, it's, it's this whole idea of mistreating poor. The economy is the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Still yep. happens today. Still happens. Fourth horse is the pale horse. Yep. Death and Hades. Yep. Sword, famine, plague. Yep. Not and this is why it seems scary, because this is stuff that you go, well, I don't yeah. want that. Yeah. But if you if you're thinking at future, mm. you that's why it's scary. But if you're thinking this is just human yeah. history. This is it all is. it's doing is yeah. just describing yeah. human history. Yeah. We've just come out of a pandemic. I yes, mean, <laughs> right, exactly. We've come out of, and that has led to, I mean, we talk about this. We've had all four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've had floods. We've had fire. We've had famine. We've had plague, really. Yeah. We've, we've had yeah. all of them in yeah. the last little while because it's human history. Did you say economical? Economical. Well, yes, that's right. That's the, that's the whole famine thing. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what we're in right yeah, now. So yeah. we, we had, even here in Australia, <laughs> we had fires followed by floods, followed by the pandemic, followed by now an economy breakdown. Yeah. So you could say we've had all four of those. Now, yeah. The, the conspiracy theorists will go and link yeah. that to the book of Revelation yeah. and think about it in the future. That's not, I'm no, not saying do that. Human cycle. I'm it's saying it's the, the human cycle. It's the, it's the cycle of the life that we yeah. live in. Yeah. Yes. Then we move on to the <coughs> altar of souls. Yes. Um, white robes, killing. What What's going on here? So these are persecuted people. Many of these people have, in some of these places, um, have been persecuted to the point of martyrdom. Mm. Uh, the, in fact, in, in Pergamum, in the church in Pergamum, let me just go back there. What does he say to the church in Pergamum? To the church of Laodicea, maybe it's... I'm glad you're saying all these big words, yeah. Rowan. 
Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. This is what the Lord says, Jesus says to Pergamum. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is a persecuted church. I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me. Even when Antipas, my faithful servant, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Mm. So these guys have experienced martyrdom. Whoever Antipas was, we don't know who he was, but he was martyred for his faith. So they are questioning, is this worth it? They mm. are suffering tremendous persecution. Mm. So now in this unveiling, in this apocalypse, they see it, They see that there's a vision of martyrs under the altar. Mm. What does that do? It's supposed to, if you read it, it's encouraging to yeah. them because the Lord is looking out for them. Yeah. Mm. So it's supposed to encourage them, not discourage them. <laughs> yes. Good to know. Mm. Then we come to the sixth seal. Mm-hmm. There was an earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. Is <laughs> <laughs> that what it says? In my, in my um, version it does. Sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole what moon turned bled, blood red. Ooh. I'm... Yeah, the NIV. Yep. What verse? Oh, what verse? Sorry, uh, I, I can see what it. Version. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. Verse twelve. Yeah. Some became as dark as black cloth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Those figs dropped from the fig tree. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Sounds pretty apocalyptic. That, sounds, <laughs> that to me, I'm like, mm, when does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> so. This is language similar to what Joel uses of the day of the Lord. Mm. So the prophet Joel talks about the day of the Lord is coming and Peter quotes Joel, you know, that the sun will be turned, the moon will be turned to blood and the sun will stop giving its its light before the coming of the great day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is, a, is, is in the Old Testament was um, a sign of God putting right the things that were wrong. And there, would, there was this grand cosmic recreation thing happening. It was like decreation to lead to recreation. Yeah, okay. okay, so this is this is apocalyptic, unveiling, poetic language that when God is getting ready to put everything right, it's going to be decreated because yeah. of human sin before it gets recreated. It doesn't need to be taken literally. Okay, okay. it's supposed to. Good. It's supposed <laughs> to catch those memories of the past. Yeah, um, and say you know the, the day of the actually the Bible Project have a really good video on the day of the Lord mm. that explains it what it means because they just call it the day sometimes, but in, in to the Old Testament, uh, Jews, it wasn't always a. It had a, it had a hopefulness to it, but it also there was this understanding that God was going to have to allow humanity to expel itself, and mm. things would get worse before they got better. Yep. And ultimately, Jesus expelled, allowed all of humanity's sin to be expelled on Him before mm. to bring about the to bring about the true day of the Lord. Yep. Um, but that's that's how you're supposed to be reading this. You're supposed okay. to be reading this with the Book of Joel in mind and places like that. Okay. Good. Won't freak out yet. No, nope, don't get freaked out yet. <laughs> and then we have the wrath of the Lamb um, in the seventh seal. Yep. Um, says they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Mm. That sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? No. Yep. But now, you're gonna you're gonna put us right, aren't you? Uh, I think I it's so interesting that my Bible doesn't have a cross reference there. Fall on us and cover us, because there's a picture somewhere in the book of Joshua. Again, it talks to me. Sorry, just quickly, yep. it reminds me of that the shame, the hidden of, yes. of the garden. As yes, well. that's right. Get yeah. away from mm. this holiness mm. of God, this unwillingness. 
but I have a feeling that it links back to Joshua. Okay. Um, why am I going to say that? Some, there's a picture. There's a picture in Joshua of uh, of God pronouncing judgment and the sun standing still and all that sort of stuff. But I can't remember why. I'd have to Google it. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do it now for the sake of time. But yeah, there's still this picture of those who are those who refuse to acknowledge the Lord when confronted by the Lord's power and majesty will shy away from that. We'll, yeah. we'll hide from that yeah. because the the day of God putting things right. So yeah. God's wrath here. Um, and there's a lot of conjecture about is this, is judgment God bringing judgment on the earth? And we're going to be talking about God as judge with Kenny in a couple of weeks time. I'm going to do judgment and eternal life with Kenny. Is judgment God judging um, or is judgment something we do to ourselves. We mm. come under judgment because of our own willfulness, mm. our own desire. And I think it is both. I think, mm. I think, um, to, to think that sometimes God allows his judgment well, hastens judgment because he knows that it's just going to get worse if he doesn't do something yeah. with it. Humanity has, uh, is just on this downward spiral. And I think that's partly the picture that's supposed to be happening. The empire is not good for people. Very few people are, are relatively few people are, um, are doing well. In the, the natural, 1%. the one percenters, yeah, are doing well. It's probably slightly more than one. To be fair, it's probably more like twenty percent have got some level of um, comfort. Mm. The elite, but they're building their empire on the back of the eighty yeah. percent who um, yeah. are treated poorly. Yeah, and that's just not. It's not the God of justice. No. It's not what God's no. about. So that's a lot of what this picture is about: God putting right the wrong, the persecution, mm. those that are being treated poorly. And I think also, even though that idea of of judgment can feel confronting and scary and, well, you know, I'm going to be judged. We also crave, like you say, we crave a just God. Yes. Because we are powerless often yes. to, yeah. to do something about those those great injustices yep. and the small injustices and the small, sometimes. Yeah, totally. But we crave that putting that idea of, Redemption. It's redemption. <laughs> and redeeming yep. certain situations. Yeah, I, and if I don't there believe isn't... you can have a loving God who isn't a just yeah. God. If God does not right wrongs, he's not truly loving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're not, you know, we were, we've seen them pinned up as two opposite. It's almost yeah. like God's got a dilemma. He's 100% just and he's 100% love and the, the t- neither the two can meet. So yeah. he pours out his justice on Jesus. I actually think they're two sides of one coin. Mm. Yeah. A loving God demands that he's a just God and a just God demands that he's a loving God. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's only in our comfortable Western world where people have never really suffered, you know, mm. if you haven't suffered any form of injustice, you don't understand you want to just yes. God. But those that have been through in our West, those that have been through trauma or abuse or those through, through most people throughout most of history, throughout most of the world, I like these mm. Christians in the book of Revelation here, suffering horrendous injustice. And God's saying, I've got you. Yeah. I've got yep. you back. It'll be yes. okay. I'm working this out. Yeah. So it should be encouraging. Should be reassuring. Should be reassuring, not scary. Good to know. Well, look, I think for me, that's we've, we've unpacked six. Revelation six. All right, we've we're doing pretty well actually. We've yeah. been bogged down. Head on to Revelation seven. Yes. Okay. Chapter 7. Yep. We get to some more numbers. Yes, there's 144,000. Is this where the 144,000 yeah, yeah, 144,000 sealed, of 12, lots of 12,000. Yeah, sure. okay. Look, I think I know probably the answer to my question. Well, but why don't you ask it and answer it? 
okay, look, we could take this number literally and I know there's certain um, religious groups. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. have, have taken this mm-hmm. as to be a literal number of, of saved souls or, mm-hmm. or ones who meet a... I get to be in a certain tier of heaven from my yep, understanding. That's something like, but these, um, are, these are the elites, yeah. Yes. But I guess when I look at, you know, obviously the 144,000, but then when it's broken down into these tribes, then I go, well, do they know what tribe they're Exactly. Part if of? you're going to take it literally yes. like a JW would, then mm. they would have to wrestle with, and they may okay. have a solution to this, but they have to wrestle with, this is, seems to be speaking about Jewish yes. tribes, not Gentile tribes. You'd be on Ancestry.com. You'd be you? checking out if you've got any Jewish heritage. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, exactly. Ancestry.com. Yeah. Totally. So I'm assuming this is a, another... I think this is poetic. Poetic number. Yep, the metaphorical, yes. poetic, apocalyptic. Yep. And it talks about every nation, tribe, people, language. Yep. So God is, he's covering all bases of humanity. Isn't it interesting? He's talking about multi, you know, multi-ethnic family of God here, and yet people want to just focus on this being about Jews. Mm. Maybe there's, a, there's something missing right there already. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Because he is going to do something for all of humanity. Yes. Yep. So again, that generous, the generous nature of of God is is it's always been God's plan. Yes, but often, I've, <laughs> you know, that human nature to, um, I don't know if you've read the Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Tim Keller. Um, I, have great, a, I think I have a long time small, ago. It's yes, a small book, I think but I have, it's a great But I, I feel like I know it because I've listened to so many Tim Keller podcasts yes. since he's passed Aww. away. Yeah. So Rest just listen to so many people commenting on. Yeah. yeah so. Well, it's a great, it's a great um, picture of that, or that idea that um, we can often uh, relate more to the, the prodigal son or the son that stayed. And mm. I think that son who stayed mentality is often – Trying to yep. reduce in, um, God's goodness to to us, the us yes. who've got our act yeah. together sometimes, yeah. or yep. who uh, look a certain way, or be a certain yep. way, or certain flavour of elitist, church. The elitist tendency yes. that we all have. There you go. Yeah, That's a nice way that we all want to become the elite. Yes. Um, God's Israel wanted to become the elite. Mm. God's intention was that they would be a kingdom of priests. We talked about this in an earlier in podcast. Out. That is supposed to be God's kingdom is for you so that you can go out to the world. Uh, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so you can be a blessing. Mm. Through you, all the nations mm. will be blessed. That's that's always been God's plan. Mm. Human nature says, oh, no, 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 now I've got it. I'll keep mm. it for myself. It's the us and them. Yeah, we totally. love that us and them. Yep. And we don't even realize we do it too. No. Um, and God's constantly counteracting that and saying, it's not about mm. just you. Mm. It's And evangelicals do it. Catholics do it. It, it's the same. it doesn't matter. It's human nature. It's yes. not a Christian problem. It's no. a human problem. Yes. And God's through all that. It's going to, he's trying to get our attention. It's not about you. It's about all of you together. Yes. <laughs> when will we get there? Yeah, <laughs> that's the right. Point. Well, this is what the reminder of this story mm. is all about. Mm. Yeah. So it took, talks, you know, about the 144,000 and. All sealed and, and so on. All sealed. And, and then it starts talking about the great multitude mm. in white robes. Um, Again, like we say, from every nation and tribe and um, people and language. The angels are standing around. So there's this picture of, you know, angelic creatures as well as all people. Yes, yeah. There's a unification here. 
So this is yeah, this unification mm-hmm. of heaven and earth. Yep. So is this is this future pointing, or is this is this, or is this current? Is, is this, this current? now? Is this this? Is this, if it's apocalyptic, I think we shouldn't be thinking future. I think we should be thinking – well, not, we shouldn't be thinking – it's not that we shouldn't be thinking future. We just shouldn't, shouldn't be thinking exclusively future. Mm. Mm. So there is there is what they call a preterist view, which basically says all of this was fulfilled mm. at the time it was written. Mm. Um, so it, basically between then and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, that was what this was all about. So that's a preterist view. There's a futurist view which says it's all in the future. And in between that there is – like views of this cyclic view you're talking about, which is this is just human nature. This is human patterns. And yes, it has been fulfilled, but what was will happen again and so on. So I think I'm probably lean more to that. Okay. So almost that cycle, but then this bigger A, a bigger point fulfillment kind of in fulfillment. the future, yes. Yeah. Um, if you take purely the preterist view, the, the, you have to wash down the mentality that there's going to be ever a future reckoning and this, so this is going to be the way it is forever and ever and ever. I think that you need to see I, – I need to see that Jesus is eventually coming to put right, that we are the foretaste, we are the first fruits of that. Mm. And well, he's the first fruit and now we are the first fruits under him of bringing that to the earth. But there is a day coming in the future at some point where Jesus will right every wrong, wipe away every tear, it says in Revelation. Oh, you were so just there, stealing my thunder there. Was I? Okay, so that's no, the no. future stuff. Um, but I think we shouldn't dismiss that this is an unveiling, that there is more mm. going on here. Um, I think what I would say on the 144,000 and the 12,000, and I remember remember talking about this early on with Jeannie, number 12 has significance in the Bible, just like seven has significance. Do you know what number 12 means? (sighs) To me, it's representing God's people. Yep. Okay. So who, <laughs> where is the number 12 appear? It's the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes, which it's we the see 12 listed disciples. here. 12 disciples. Yep. So 12 actually symbolizes God's authority or governance. Mm. So it's a governmental term. Okay. It's an authority term. Mm. So if you recognize it in that way, that God governs through his 12 tribes or he, Jesus used deliberately picked 12 disciples for that same sense of governance. And governance through the... Old covenant and, and the, the new, new covenant. covenant. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And so here you have a a blending of the old covenant, mm. the 12 tribes, and it goes on and talks about all all people. Yeah. So this is a blending of old and new. Jesus says to um, the disciples, you will sit on 12, tri- 12 thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. What's he talking about? Is he talking about literal 12 thrones or is he just using a metaphorical language? I tend to think he's using metaphorical language of this governance, this judgment, this authority bearing and so this picture is a metaphorical statement that says God is still judging and using his people. God still is going to select people from all nations and tribes to mm. be part of his, mm. his governance and that he, even though it look, might look like Caesar is governing and judging, ultimately God mm. will still bring judgment and authority through his elect, mm. through his people. So I oh. think once again, that's how I would, read this. I mean, I'm sure you could dig into it and get a lot more nuance out of it than that. But I think at first glance, that's what I see in it now these days. Now that makes, I mean, I like that idea of what that number represents. Yeah. So governance. Yes, governance. Okay. Usually a boring subject, governance. Yeah, it is. It is when you're on a board, believe (laughs) me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But you did allude to, are you happy for me to jump ahead? ahead. But just that picture again of that I mean, it's a beautiful, reassuring picture and it's down in um, 
verses 15 to 17. I was going to read it out because Go for it. You can't, I can't do justice to it any other way. It says, um, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mm. Um, and this just to me, I think it, it did kind of almost link back to that Psalm 126. Yes, that yes. The, he again. will bring redemption and streams, yeah. streams of living water, it mm, said in Psalm 126. Mm. Yes. Yes, so. it does. Very good. I like it. Go. Oh, I, that wasn't intended. That was a Holy Spirit link up. Yeah. I put that in there. That's really good. Yeah, I love that. That's a great thought. Well, who are these people he's talking to? In fact, John's asking that just right before you read it. Uh, the In verse 13, one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And he says, I don't know. You know, Lord. He's saying to this elder, and he says, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. Now, what is the great tribulation? Don't think future again. Think mm, these people are in tribulation. Yeah. These are the martyrs, like the ones in Pergamum. These are the martyrs who are suffering through mm. tribulation. And God is saying they have had their robes mm. washed in the blood of Christ yeah. and that he is going to, they're standing mm. before God's throne. It's supposed to be they're gonna have harvest feasting. They're going to have mm. their harvest time. Mm. Mm. Yes, they have endured mm. and they love Revelation. I'm not going to do it today, 10 verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the mm. word of the testimony mm. and they love not their lives unto death. So I guess for those churches that were reading this at the time, this would have been hugely encouraging. It was intended to be. To feel seen. They would yes. have felt seen. Seen, mm. yes, that's right, mm. yeah. So when you read it through the lens of chapters 1, 2, and 3 rather than separating it out from 1, 2, and 3, just like we do, we do that with every other part of Scripture. Mm. I'm always, as a Bible teacher, always trying to anchor people back, like we did in the book of so Ruth. hint, read 1 to 3 Read before 1 <laughs> to 3 and think about and study what were these people in 1 to 3 going through? Mm. What was life like for them? What was life like in these different cities? And you'll find these two things. One, they were being mar- persecuted and martyred. Two, they had this constant temptation to com- be complicit with the empire. If you know those two things, you can mm. read the rest of it. So we just extract out Revelation normally and put it in the future but we just did Ruth and I just showed you how mm. it was helpful to understand some of the cult, the what yeah. was going on. It's exactly the same with the book of mm. Revelation. God is working out his redemptive plan with these people, even though they're going through in a hard time. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Great. It's good. All right. Well, that's, that's for me, chapter seven. We're nearly there. Two to yeah. go. Revelation chapter eight coming up. We're going to look at chapter eight and nine together. Sure. Um, and I need to firstly say that I mentioned that sev- the seventh seal, which I was incorrect about. Yeah, the first the six seven, seals. It's the were, first six. Yes. The seventh seal is opened in chapter eight. That's correct. The first six happened earlier yes. on. Yes. Yep. And we're treated to a little bit of silence in heaven mm, for just mm. half an hour. Half an hour. <laughs> I love that detail. <laughs> so, it's like... Sure, there's some meaning in that, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, I underlined. I was hoping you're gonna. <laughs> uh, I can. Uh, there no. is some. There is some sense of I think overwhelm. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be a picture of overwhelm. Okay. Uh, this hushed silence about yeah. what what on earth is happening. I just like that. It's sort of 
a little, little bit earthy there in amongst yes. the kind of celestial picture. Yep. yep. Um, but we have, you know, angels, seven angels, trumpets, an angel with a golden bowls and bowls yeah. and we've got we've got seals, trumpets and bowls here. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of my Catholic roots. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, just yeah. some of the some of the imagery. Yeah. Some imagery. Of, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, it's rich in imagery. It's rich in imagery, but there, you know, again, we're we're coming to some imagery that is hard to. Well, to he, here's another reason why we shouldn't read it linearly. Mm. It's not written linearly. Yeah, okay. It's written cyclically. There's seven seals, and then inside the seven seals is at one point seven trumpets, and then mm. inside seven trumpets is seven bowls. So it's actually, oh, it's wow. not written like seals yeah. one to seven. Yeah, yeah. Then. Trumpets one to seven, mm. then bowls one to seven. Mm. It's not written that way. It's, it's, it's written. Packing. It's yeah. It's written um, cyclically, mm. and so we we should that should hint that we shouldn't try to actually interpret it linearly. Mm. It's not. Okay. It's written metaphorically. Yes. And cyclically, and yet we try to interpret it um, literally. This happened, and then and, this happened. And yeah. chronologically, okay. yes. And we shouldn't do that. Okay. That's right. But it's we not, should look at it the pictures that it's trying. The to, pictures it represents and the, the cycle yeah. cyclic nature. Yes, that's right. Um, so we are talking, you know, the trumpets, to, to me that signifies victory normally yeah. or warning, I guess. All of them, yes. All of so the So the trumpets, say to a Jew, they they knew their trumpets. The priests had two trumpets that, mm. in the Old Testament and they were to make, that Moses said, fashion out two trumpets and he says, blow these at the times of harvest, blow them at the time of celebration, blow them when uh, the call to war. So they were all these presumably different trumpet calls wow. represented so different real, things. The trumpets have been around a while. The trumpets have been Not around just... a long, long time. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and at the time of, at this time, they would blow the trumpets on the temple um, at the end of the Sabbath day to call them to rest. So okay. trumpets were well known as a, Communication communication well. device. Mm. Yes, that's right. Okay, yep. so they would again. This is this is symbol symbolic language that um, the readers would really they would resonate with resonate this. with. Yep, yep. Um, so I don't know if you want to unpack all the <laughs> the different um, trumpets. I've just picked up on some of the other. Well, well ask me pictures. Like we won't try third to, of you, Earth. Burned up. Ah, uh, the third thing. Okay, so yes. the third of the earth burned up. There was a third of the waters burned up, and all third that sort of mankind stuff. Killed, third of mankind killed. Yeah, just just, <laughs> just a small a thing. Yeah, thirty <laughs> percent. Um, I think the third tells me. I think the third probably tells me it's it's significant, but not complete. So, uh, you know, as bad as things get on the earth, as bad as human sin gets and messes things up, it's a. I I think. I would read that without doing much research into it. I'm sure you could get more out of it if we think of, I'm trying to think of any Old Testament scriptures that talk about the third of God's judgment being referred to in thirds. I can't think of anything. So I'm thinking it's it's significant enough that it's it's difficult, but it's trying to show that God's still working. He's not written off mm. all of creation. I think and that's, thankfully it's not two-thirds. <laughs> and thankfully it's not two-thirds. Yes, I think that's right. I think it's almost like God's saying – even though things look really, really bad, mm, mm. I've still got mm. – it might look like one-third mm. of the world's going yeah. to hell, <laughs> basically. He's saying I've still Take got heart. this in control. Take heart. I've yeah, overcome I think, the world. I think yeah. so. Okay. Um, we could look at that one. Let me just – look. let's just do I'm a little – I'm happy to take that one. Well, let's just do a little <laughs> – just for our listeners, Google. just take a little – let's just see what ChatGPC has to say mm. about it. So let's just see 
this is just give us some ideas. This is how you can use chat GPT. Uh, what is the significance? What is the significance of the reference to thirds in the, in Revelation? What is it? Uh, what are we in? Eight? Eight. Yeah. Let's just see what it has to say. Now, don't take everything ChatGPT says literally, but it's a tool <laughs> that can just give you some idea of, because it's collated up everything that the Bible said. Uh, it gives the thoughts. So let's see what it says. It says, I won't read the whole thing, because it delights in giving you an explanation. And these verses, seven angels are given seven trumpets, and each trumpet blast heralds a specific judgment. The judgments involve various natural disasters and afflictions causing destruction and upheaval. The mention of thirds is in this context indicates that these judgments are not total or complete. There you go. Oh, but right, maybe it was just listening to me and it's giving me what I want to say. <laughs> but they affect one third of the area, er, affected area or object. For example, the first angel sounds his trumpet and they come, they came hail and fire mixed with blood and a third of the earth was burned up, etc., etc. Similarly, similarly, the subsequent trumpet judgments involve a third of mm. the sea third and of the day, a third the of the light, land, etc. Light, yep. The repeated use of thirds emphasizes the partial nature of these judgments, indicating the severe but not all-encompassing. Mm. There's the still hope. There's still hope. I think that's what it's saying. Mm. The significance of this reference to thirds is open to interpretation. Yep, that makes sense. Some see it as a demonstration of God's mercy and restraint mm. in the midst of judgments. So this is almost like Noah being rescued through the the through the judgment. It's not complete in that sense. It suggests that even in the face of such catastrophic events, God is not unleashing his will, His full wrath, but is providing a warning and an opportunity for repentance. Now that fits. Mm. It's like, I'm going to allow a certain amount of humanity's sin to run its course, but the purpose is that I would call you back to myself, that there is always an opportunity for mm. repentance. So if he's writing to a people who are 11th suffering. hour. Exactly. Mm. These people are suffering persecution and hardship and it seems like all hell is breaking loose. And this picture is there's an open invitation. Mm. It's not too late for you mm. to turn back. Are you living for empire? Stop living for empire. I was just going to say it's almost that thing of I think we can all be a little bit like, oh, you can't beat them, join them. You know, yeah. when life gets you down or I'm just going to cut this, this corner is, yep, or I'm going to do, yep. you know, but God say, no, there's – Stick with it. Stick with it. There's, with there's it. reason to stick yeah. with it. I reckon that's, I reckon that's going to make sense there. Thank you, GPT. Thank you. That, that makes sense to me. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it elaborates on what I was thinking. But that's how I. No, that's it's new. It's new ways. I would never again. have read that that mm. way in the past. Mm. I mean, I was raised thinking. Uh, I remember thinking in the early days of my Christianity that that says this, you know, this thing falls to ground and its name is wormwood and it dries oh, up. Oh yes, a, I saw wormwood. Wormwood. Well, I was taught that was Chin the Chernobyl disaster. Right. So they were linking it to a specific yes. event in the 1980s. The Chernobyl disaster was going to poison a third of the world's mm. water and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And it nearly did. Mm. But this is that kind of uh, Bible college literature used to say the problem back in those days is we hold the Bible up in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Oh, yeah. He says it's not helpful to no. do that. And I think, I think also that breeds fear, doesn't it? That's because what breeds if, fear. And paranoia yep. because and, – and we've seen that in recent years yep. with, with lots of things. With the pandemic and everything the pandemic yeah. is – you know, it has bred fear and 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 division, and and that's not what Jesus. That well, was not what that's he was not bringing. Me, no, that's not what he was bringing. And I think I think for me over the last few years, having some different teaching and starting to go, you know, I've been listening to end times predictions, prophecies for thirty years of my Christian life now, and so many have come and gone. Maybe I should start to think. Maybe I'm mm. not reading this right. Mm. Maybe there's more going on here mm. than meets the eye. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of and then it's and it distracts us from. 
also what God's wanting to do right I, here. I reckon and, yeah. right here and now, which is mm. what you're talking about. How, mm. are we, how are we living in this world? How mm. are we um, complicit with empire? Yeah. I mean, we could talk about abyss, but I think <laughs> if you yeah. want to. <laughs> but um, one, you know, just an interesting little thing was they were not allowed to kill them. It's just to do with the grass. Oh, no, the people who did not have the seal on them. But they were allowed to be tortured for five months. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming, again, that's that picture of, you know, still I'd they're still so. open to I'd say so. choice. Yeah. And to but you can see redemption. why if you're going to read it futuristically. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what LaHaye and Jenkins did. In the, they, I remember reading through the Left Behind mm. books and it's exactly five months that they're being tortured and oh they're my. purely li- taking it literally. And, oh, gosh. And, you know, they're being attacked by bugs, like by, by, by killer locusts for five months or something. You can take it purely literally, yes. and that's how they read it. That's how they absorbed mm. it. But I have to think that maybe there are other ways to mm. read this. But look, I don't. And justice is in God's hands, I yeah, guess. Is yeah, God is. Look, I'd, I'd go further. I reckon if you dig into it, all of these all of these metaphors have meaning. So I think there's benefit with a, mm. with extended study of mm. researching and mm. studying. Those there might be significance yes. in the five months and the yes. half an hour yep. in heaven and yep. all that. We haven't got time to go into it, but put tools in your hands so that you can actually do mm. that and realize that this this worth studying. Yeah. This it means something to them. And I think what the the way you framed Revelation and these chapters. I think is very helpful in terms of like wanting to go into further study. Yeah. Going with that, more of that hopeful, encouraging mindset. Yes, that's <laughs> one right. of my questions was, you know, is it, is it a warning? Is revelation a big, I mean, there would be warning in there, but it is like you say, it's supposed to be a, an encouragement yeah. of God is working behind the scenes yeah. and he, he is, um, you know, never going to desert his people. That's the point. Yep. Yeah. The warning is in challenge, challenge mm. to to stay true and stay loyal mm. to his redemptive plan, mm. rather than to um, go our way and become complicit. Mm. That's the that's the warning and the challenge. Mm. It's there, but it's also coupled with this encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Look, we could go into more, but I feel like is there anything that you wanted uh, to? No, let me. No, I think we've done eight and nine there. We will come. <laughs> we will come back. I'm sure to other parts of of Revelation in the rest of the series. But thank you for being willing to take on oh. these, even if you did it without even realising, taking on these passages. But I think let's sum it up then redemptively. Mm. The book of Revelation is supposed to be redemptive, mm. but in the end God is reconciling mm. the world to himself through yes. Jesus. And so so no matter how dark and desperate things seem in our own lives or in the world around us, God's redemptive plan mm. is still at work. And so this should encourage us. Definitely. Yeah. I guess my one of my final qu- – well, my final question is how do we partner with God to be part of his Great redemptive question. work? Great question. I think it's a day-by-day decision. Mm. I think it's like living the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. I think it's a day-by-day, Lord, let me live the upside-down kingdom today. Let me live Matthew 5, 6, and 7, a Sermon on the Mount life. Mm. That is actually how we do God's redemptive plan. If, if in all our encounters, we would be focused on the living the upside down way, loving our neighbor as ourself, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Your kids are just running around at the back. They start to get I'm restless. hearing footsteps. Good. Yeah, there's footsteps <laughs> on the back. Um, but if we would think of it that way, then that is living redemptively. That is living new creation life. Mm. It doesn't have to be some grand thing. The little choices that we make, the way we parent our kids, the way we do those things, 
every time we do that, we bring a little bit of heaven to yes. earth, or and, we and fail to bring heaven yeah. to earth, and and that is intentional living. That's intentional Christian living. Yeah, and I think that is what we are called to do. Mm. And sometimes that will meet us with blessing in this life, and sometimes it will bring making those choices will lead mm. to hardship. Mm. It will lead to persecution, mm. like mm. it did for these people. Mm. Um, but then it's how do we stand up under persecution? Do we resort to empire when we're persecuted and fight back? Or do we do what we're encouraged to do, which is stay faithful, keep serving, keep loving. Sorry? Be Ruth. Be Ruth. Be Ruth. Yes. Put yourself out for other people. Continue to to think redemptively, even about those that persecute us. Mm. Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's redemptive living. Mm. When empire says, no, curse them back. Jesus says, no, bless them back. Yeah. Wonderful. I think that's redemptive. Hey, thanks, Becky. Thank you. Oh, a lot of fun. That was, oh, you're, you know. you're a great thinker. I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. There's some know. great stuff in there. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for. I did too. Thank I might you. might get you back again at some point in the okay, future as well. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a thanks, great week, Tom, everyone. You too.